Roll the clip and run it back, I'm really like that I'm really not friendly, I need my credit, niggas hate that I need the numbers, I need the data Got you talking crazy, abracadabra, you niggas sideshow I'm bobbing like psycho You like What's going on everybody, it's your boy Jordan And this is Desmond And welcome to episode 168 of Two Black Nerds yeah. That's right, it's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions And how it takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support and of course join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on twitter instagram and tiktok at two black nerds we appreciate that love y'all and let's not forget to mention we have merchandise that's available now at two black nerds.com go check out our two black nerds forever collection inspired by black panther wakanda forever we got t-shirts crew neck city stickers mugs and tote bags so go ahead and place those orders right now on today's show we'll be reviewing and recapping episode three of hbo's the last of us Plus, we'll discuss some new movie releases, including Netflix's interracial comedy, You People, and the science fiction horror film, Infinity Pool. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with our reactions to this year's Academy Award nominations, which were publicly unveiled last week. And so with that being said, I don't think there's really a necessary (laughs) need for me to give any sort of preamble like I usually do. I think it just makes the most sense to really get right into this because we've been waiting for about six days to share our thoughts on these nominations. We've had some time to process them, react and reflect to them personally outside of the podcast. But now we're going to go ahead and do so. So we won't cover necessarily every category. There's 23 categories. There's some things that I think we can wait and talk about when we do our final predictions in a couple of months here, because there's still some things that we both have to see. But generally across the board, we will cover the big categories. Before we just get the the high-level overview thoughts of things, I do just want to point out, across the field, there was a diverse array of nominations that we saw across the board. Some surprises, some snubs that I think we'll definitely talk about. And there's some things that I think we both kind of expected. Everything Everywhere All at Once is leading the field with 11 nominations, which is really staggering to think about. A really huge accomplishment. All Quiet on the Western Front, a Netflix film out of Germany, is second with nine nominations, and also The Banshees of Inishirin. Not surprisingly, also got a large amount of nominations, respectively, with nine as well. Elvis picked up eight nominations, The Fablements picked up seven, and Top Gun Maverick is rounding out the most nominations for this year's award show with six nominations. And so, again, there are many specifics to get to. We'll talk about some of the categories more so in depth when we get to them. But I just want to get your general impressions, man. What do you think about this year's slate of Academy mm-hmm. Award nominees? What's, what's just the big picture takeaway after you saw everything unveiled last week? Yeah, first and foremost, shout out to us. Um, I think we really legit covered close to everything, if not everything, in all the big main categories. Um, So, you know, a little pat on the back. I think we really killed it in terms of getting to the theater, you know, last year and seeing, um, going out and seeing these films, man, the way, you know, we were were able to give back um, on this podcast. So shout out to us for that. Shout out to everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> Everyone knows how I feel about that film, man. Eleven nominations is huge. Uh, that's that's it's 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 really dope. I think to see that 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 film doing what it's doing, man. Um, but a lot of you know my big takeaway from these from these nominations like, on on the positive side of things is the the way all of the a lot of these movies feel. I think is feels very different from previous years, like. 
I don't know. I'm so used to, you know, a lot of those artsy fartsy, you know, nominations kind of creeping in and us being like, what even is this movie? But it ended up being a good movie <laughs> type thing at the end of the year that I'm very proud to see that all the nominate, uh, all the not most of the nominees for the most part here just feel like very different movies. Like, I, I don't know. There, there used to be some times where it was like drama, drama. What is this drama? What is that drama? Drama with a spin in it. Drama with. Meryl Streep in it, but now this time around, it really does feel like there people are taking risks, and these a lot of these films are not just here because they were the last minute end of the year, you know, ploys for an Oscar. They really feel like a bunch of people who are trying to do something new and trying to say something, and so I really do appreciate. I think this year's nominees and uh, across the board for for things like that. A lot of these, um, um, um awards or, or, or nominations do feel different um and so I, I'm, I'm having a good time at least looking at them i'm like dang you know this movie is different from any movie i've ever seen and i feel like previous years i couldn't always say that even though they're really good movies don't get me wrong it's just like oh, i feel like i've seen this movie before and a lot of these movies i can't say that so yeah man that's kind of my my initial thoughts on how you know i kind of feel um about these nominations yeah, you know, I think after looking at everything that was offered up this year, it was a similar feeling that I think I typically feel every year when we see the Academy Award nominations. And I'm simultaneously having these emotions of elation as well as disappointment that mm-hmm. typically is is just the result of seeing this every year. Because, of course, there are many, many movies that we both checked out that I'm elated to see a part of the field, elated to see get celebrated in, in such a big and bold way. But... I'd be remiss not to say that there's also definitely some disappointing aspects to this when you look at some of the gaps that might exist, when you look at some things, some actors or some films that didn't make it, or maybe you expected a bigger showing. That's going to be the case every year if you really follow this sort of thing. And, And for me, the Academy Awards will always hold importance. And I know everybody doesn't feel that way. It's certainly Mm -hmm. decreased in terms of its relevancy over the years, like many award shows have. But for me, it really does signal just where we are in the moment of time in terms of film and what we're watching and what we're consuming and what what that current year says about the state of film. And I think Mm -hmm. that this year is no different. And and there's definitely drawbacks to that idea. And there's certainly some advancements and some progress that's been made where I'm super happy about it. I'm super happy that over the past five or six years, the expansion of the Academy has resulted in some of the things that we're seeing reflected here. I don't know if a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once seven years ago would have been as recognized as it is these days because Mm -hmm. naturally the Academy has just become more international over the years. But as usual, there are still things where you look at the system and you say, that just doesn't feel right. Something something doesn't really add up and make sense here, which we're going to absolutely get to. But For the most part, I do have to say that I'm really pleased with this. A lot of my favorite films and a lot of the things that I really, really enjoyed in 2022 are being represented heavily here. And I can't be mad at that. Of course, my head is scratching at some of these Mm -hmm. (laughs) some of these other acknowledgments that we're seeing. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, well, how did this happen? (laughs) But but mostly mostly I will say that I'm very pleased with 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 what's being represented here across the board. It really all will just kind of add up to what we see on the night of in terms of is this is this actually a moment are we actually saying something about the state of movies in the academy in this day and age or is it just going to be oh it's kind of the same old thing that we're used to seeing i think that a lot will be said once academy night does roll around up in march when, when we get to that point but Let's just go ahead and get into it. Let's talk about some of these specific categories. Again, as I mentioned, we're not going to cover all 23, but do want to pick out some of the notable ones. Let's actually start off 
towards the bottom of the list here, let's actually start off with best visual effects. And so for this category, it's always an interesting one for us to talk about because it seems like it seems like every year just kind of changes in terms of what what the Academy takes to in terms of the visual effects front. Sometimes we're like, that makes a lot of sense. And other times we're like, wait, how did that win exactly compared to this other project that we saw? But yeah. this year, I got to say, I think it's a pretty strong feel. We have All Quiet on the Western Front, mm -hmm. Avatar The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Top Gun Maverick. We'll do final predictions a week before the actual award show airs. But what do you feel about the field? What do, what, do, what do these movies say to you in terms of their visual effects representation being here? Yeah, to be honest, man, like I don't know how else I could have, I think, picked, you know, this these, these, these nominees because these are all movies, I think, that excel in, in visual effects for sure. Um, all, Quiet on, all Quiet on the Western Front, has, they were actually doing like, before this nomination even came out, they were already doing like a campaign <laughs> for their visual effects. And I was seeing like befores and afters. I was like, I didn't notice that. But that's very important to the movie. And so I was like, as soon as I seen the uh, the nomination, I was like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me, man. Uh, we just talked about Way of Water. That's a, another ball game. The the intricacy of the Batman. Oh, man. Just watching. If you haven't done so, there's like a, a one-hour Dolby um, interview with Matt Reeves. And I forgot the colorist's name. He's, he's like he's a color slash editor. I forgot his name. But he's a they're beast. They just talk for an hour about how they got this film shot how they edited, how they filmed certain things, 10 out of 10. Like, you go back and you'll never watch the Batman the same ever again after that, I promise you. It's it's pretty phenomenal, some of the things that they do. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, we talked about a lot of scenes there. Top Gun, the ridiculous movie, <laughs> we know that to be, man. It's just, I think it's a really good category at the end of the day. Uh, I'm proud to see these nominees, man. I don't really have much to add or take away. I, I will say, in the... There could be an argument to fight for another movie here, potentially for visual effects, right? Where there's, uh, where I see Black Panther, again, sometimes in my mind, I do see Nope. You know what I mean? Like, maybe Nope could be there over Black Panther. Uh, but again, overall, still pretty happy camper here. Yeah, I, th I do think it's important to mention, like, some of these notable snubs, quote unquote, that we might see in some of these categories. My, my pick as something that would have been here would have been nope as well and and typically when i'm thinking about this i'm not i'm not necessarily looking to take out a particular film mm -hmm. because really all of these movies are extremely deserving but you do just wonder like oh was there space for nope to possibly squeeze in here but i mean all of these are incredibly strong i, I think that when you look at a war film like all quiet on the western front we know war films traditionally do very well at the academy awards mm -hmm. avatar the way of water that is an entirely visual effects heavy movie everything is a visual effect in that film there's not real sets we're not really on pandora right. they have to do so much motion capture so you just think about the the breadth of the work and then these other films where it's a little bit more subtle like the batman and top gun maverick mm -hmm. grounded in reality but their usage of visual effects really helps enhance the story it's just all really strong stuff here and so i'm really i'm really happy with this field across the board i don't i don't necessarily know who wins i would probably end up picking avatar the way of water but again yeah. It just kind of depends because we've seen other films that utilize visual effects as, as more of an invisible method as opposed to the obvious in terms mm -hmm. of what's really getting recognized here. And I think sometimes that invisible VFX industry, the stuff that we don't even know is a part of the film, like probably even de-aging. Some of these actors that are in like their 50s or 60s, they get de-aged and we don't even notice it. But that's like mm -hmm. visual effects work, right? And so I think that those things are... Sometimes the intangibles that, that aren't necessarily accounted for in predictions, so I definitely want to give some thought to that. The next one we should talk about is Best Original Song, because this is interesting. So we have Applause from Tell It Like a Woman, 
Hold My Hand from Top Gun Maverick, that's by Lady Gaga, Lift Me Up from Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which, you know, we've probably all heard at this point by Rihanna, Natu Natu from RRR, which did pick up the Golden Globe, in fact, Mm -hmm. and This Is A Life from Everything, Everywhere, All At Once, and so... I think the notable snub here is that Taylor Swift song from Where the Crawdads Sing. She did mm-hmm. get nominated for a Golden Globe, but was not nominated here. But beyond her, I don't really know if there's any other like big notable songs that could have been included here. But how do you feel about this field and what's represented? Yeah, no, these are all great songs. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, I don't, I don't know even know which way it would lean. I, I, part of me wants to say nuts and nuts just because the Golden Globe, <laughs> you know what I mean? That it that it got, and it's a really good song. But these are some fire, some fire songs. To be honest, I forgot everything all every while at once had an original song until it got nominated. I was like, wait a second, oh yeah, <laughs> that is a thing. So I did forget about that. Um, which I don't know could speak to the nomination for other people too. I don't know how how people feel about that. But man, I think I think it's another competitive category. To be honest, like of course I'm rooting for everybody black to see maybe a. Uh, 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 a Tim's or a Rihanna, you know, pick pick something up here. But I think Not To Not To still feels really good to me in terms of a song that could be iconic. But, again, another good feel and category, I think, to me. But it's uh, – I actually haven't seen Tell Like a Woman, so I can't really speak to that um, as well. But it, it seems fine to me. Imagine Tim's, Rihanna, and Ryan Coogler all winning an Oscar based on this song. That would actually be kind of crazy if crazy. you ask me. Uh, mm-hmm. Because – Black Panther is, you know, nominated for other awards, but not a Best Picture award um, in this particular year. But Ryan Coogler could still potentially pick up an Oscar based on providing mm-hmm. lyrics to the song, which would be it would be phenomenal. I, I, I will say I think Not To Not To is is the odds on favorite here just based off of conversations and, and, and what's being seen across other voting bodies and just the the momentum behind it as well, because. RRR isn't nominated anywhere else, mm-hmm. which I think is another thing that we should kind of just yes. briefly talk about. That would have been the movie that if it was to show up in any other category, I think it would have been in the best international film category. Yes. It made <laughs> it made a huge campaign towards that to be to be recognized and acknowledged. We both had it on our top ten list for the year. It's it's been acknowledged on many other top ten le- lists for twenty twenty two as well, but this is the only one that that it's being nominated for. I guess you know in hindsight. Which seeing these nominees and also seeing the the field and seeing like what else is represented, I think does shine some light onto the conversation as to why something might not have made it a little bit further than you expected. RRR is a big action spectacle wrapped up in a romantic comedy, wrapped up in a musical, wrapped up in a historical drama. There's a lot going on there. Yes. And I just wonder if maybe that movie went over some people's heads and they didn't get it. Because it is it is the movie that, and, and I think we talked about this when when initially reviewing it, that it, it just might not be for everybody mm-hmm. because it's it's crafted in such a unique way. It's it's such a it's such a different style of movie, and it's coming from Tollywood, which is still growing in in terms of just its representation across the world and how many people have access to those films. But I guess I guess I just think in RRR, it's it's kind of that movie that some people just didn't really gravitate towards. It as maybe you know some of these other films that are being represented as as far as an international sort of piece that that's getting getting included here. Yeah, it's kind of I don't know. It's 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 a little annoying, I think, in that in that front, just because there were so many. I rem- again, I remember like three days before nominations come out, somebody randomly tweeted about RRR and there was like this big thing on the internet of all these film critics and people hyping up RRR. And then we get to the nominations and it's just not in the best international, you know, feature film category. And it's like, I thought, I don't know, I felt a little bit of betray- betrayed a little bit. It's like, weren't we all in agreement like a couple of days ago <laughs> about how good this movie is? Um, so 
I think to your point, I, I think it is interesting that it may not be for everybody, but it is. It's also like this movie should also be praised because it's doing something different again i haven't seen literally like four out of the five other best international film uh features in there but i just i know they're not the crazy epic there are is right nobody has really talked about a movie like that that came out um last year but yeah it's it's weird man so i get and if, if anything i guess it would be a makeup call to give it song but it's also like a slap on the wrist you know what i mean it's like eh, we gave you what we could give you and, that, and that's a weird feeling too for me yeah, I mean, Decision to Leave as well from Park Chan-wook did not get acknowledged in Best International Feature, which I think a lot of people would have assumed if it's mm-hmm. going to get sort of a nominee, it would be in that category, and it did not. What what I find interesting as well about this year is how many respectable, legendary directors mm. are just not represented at all. There were a lot of great directors that dropped films, and they're not they're not here. They're not present. The Park Chan-wooks, yep. Damien Chazelle, mm-hmm. Jordan Peele. Um, um, Noah Baumbach from from his White Noise movie that he just dropped on Netflix. Like, mm-hmm. there were some really really credible directors that you know are just not present, and and so I find that as like an interesting trend that that is a, a little bit unusual because some of those more re- respected filmmakers that have a pedigree that people know and they know that their work is typically great um, are just not being reflected here, and so I think it just kind of says something about sort of the state of things where. Because the membership has grown so large, it's it's almost at ten thousand, I think, at this point. Wow! It's really it's really hard to 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 drive consensus across the board. I think I think we might be past the days where like you would get a film like let's for example, everything everywhere all at once, eleven nominations. It's not mm-hmm. winning everything. That's just not going to happen. Right. There used to be a time where a movie that would get ten plus nominations could damn near sweep everything, you know, and, and kind of take everything that it was that it was in consideration for. I think those days are long gone. I don't, I don't see that happening. And I think we're also seeing that represented in the talent that's being included in these categories. So um, again, again, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see just how the field shakes out once once awards night rolls around. Let's move on to best cinematography. So here we have All Quiet on the Western Front, Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, Elvis, Empire of Light and Tar. Conspicuous by its absence is Top Gun Maverick, which mm. you and I both talked about many, many times. Like, oh, yeah, it's going to get cinematography. Like, it'll be there. And it's not here. It's not here at all. Now, these movies, even though I haven't seen Empire Light, I will say all these movies look great. Yes. Um, Empire Light, I will say, even though I didn't see it, the great Roger Deakins DP'd it. So, yep, I'm sure I, it looks I mean, great. <laughs> that, that, it's kind of a shoe in. Like, it probably looks tremendous. I won't ever doubt him. He's a legend, already Academy Award winner. Um, but anything else stand out to you? Any other surprises or just, you know, sort of overall feelings about this category? Well, you know, Nope is another snub there um, that, you know, in some ways you kind of just like you make history uh, the way you shoot this movie, the way black people are on screen and IMAX, you know, for the first time in a horror film. It's just like, mm, hello. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we need to expand categories now. Maybe we're sick of the sick of the, 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 the five entries. You know what I'm saying? Give us seven or something nowadays because now you're right top gun where's top gun that people were operating cameras and flying planes at the same time i don't care what the movie looked that's nuts you know what i'm saying like come on man and so i I, i'm just looking for yeah what i just don't know what's happening you know in in, in some of these cases i'll i I do want to give a shout out to bardo it's not my favorite movie but the way the things and going on in that movie and the way they're shot is nuts some Incredible. of the sequences and the way things are moving in the camera and people, it's nuts, bro. Um, and I think because a lot of people haven't seen it, I am afraid of that movie kind of falling under the radar a little bit in terms of cinematography. Like, 
Some of these other movies are even, you know, everybody, a lot of people have seen Elvis. <laughs> a lot of people have seen All Quiet on Western Front. It is being talked about. Bardo, not so much. And so I, I, I'm glad at least to see it here in the nomination, man. But again, besides, you know, a couple of those absences, it looks good. But I just wish they were here somewhere. Those two movies in particular. Um, yeah. Yeah, if Top Gun was included here, I think we would have a little bit more of a competitive race. I don't know. To me, it just seems like All Quiet on the Western Front is the obvious winner. Just looking mm-hmm. at this list and based on what's here, all of these movies are visually impressive. I, I definitely don't want to also sneeze at Tar. The shots in that film are composed excellently and brilliantly. Yeah. Like there's some there's some beautiful cinematography across Tar, and and I haven't seen Empire of Light, but Roger Deakins, I trust in him. But I think All Quiet on the Western Front, when we talk about the technical stuff, mm-hmm. that has really elevated above what we probably assumed would really belong to a Top Gun Maverick or even Avatar The Way of Water. Those films felt like they were kind of the front runners for a lot of these technical awards, but all quiet on the Western front. Again, that war film sort of pedigree that's just been a part of Academy history is is once again present here. And it is a great film. Like, don't get it twisted. Like, All Quiet on the Western (laughs) Front is a genuinely great film. I don't want to take anything away from it, but I do find it somewhat surprising. Like, the big Netflix play this year is that film yeah. and and it it almost serves like a couple of purposes like Netflix hasn't traditionally done that well in the past at the academy but in a film or excuse me in a year like 2019 where I don't know the Irishman gets like 13 or 14 nominations mm-hmm. and walks away with nothing and then you get 1917 which came out in the same year they sort of combined efforts they have the Netflix movie but the Netflix movie is also serving as the war movie mm, and so yeah. they might actually have an advantage from that from that perspective to really get the accolades that they've been searching for over the past few years in, in terms of that recognition from the Academy. Let's move on to Best Animated Feature Film. So this one is kind of stacked. We have stacked. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in mm. Boots, The Last Wish, mm. The Sea Beast, which is on Netflix, and Turning Red, which debuted on Disney Plus last year. Wow. Um, I, I, you know, the animated feature film category every year, I think, continues to astound me just because the work is just so incredible. I know last year was amazing and it was it was kind of a toss up at a certain point in time. This year is equally amazing as well. I will say, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. Marcel the Shell, there's a lot of humans in that film. Like, <laughs> yes, the characters are absolutely animated. The primary character that we're following is an animated character and it's based off of the YouTube series. Like, I get it. I totally get it. But I mean, like, there are a lot of human beings in that movie, like, Mm -hmm. real humans, actual actors, and I know that, like, even the voice actors for the animated characters were on set. Like, they were filming on set in a house, they were doing that stuff, and Mm so... Yeah, I, I don't know the the, the param. I know some of the parameters. Like I know a movie like Avatar: The Way of Water cannot be included here. They took right. out motion capture performances, which, if you look at Avatar, that kind of is an animated movie, but they're not considering motion capture. So I get that, but I don't really know. I don't know where you draw the line with this. And so mm-hmm. that one is as amazing of a film as as, as it is. I, I love that movie. It, it is interesting that it made it in here to me. But beyond that, I think that this is just it's an incredible category with a bunch of incredible films that I that I really enjoyed last year. Yeah, I don't know. It could be because of the hybridness that it, I guess it just qualifies. Like, I do know it's like live action slash stop motion. However, that works, you know, as a category. And a part of me thinks they didn't know where else to put it. They wanted to recognize it, but they were like, eh, can't, can't go in best film. But it got a little bit of animation. Let's just throw it in here. <laughs> so at least, you know, somebody can look at it somewhere. So I think that's kind of my idea of where, of, of, of where, um, how it got there. But man, Stacked is... Stacked is right, bro. This is an amazing five movies. I haven't even seen Puss in Boots, but just the 
the word of mouth that I've gotten from Puss in Boots is enough for me <laughs> to Lord. know that it should belong there. I also haven't seen the Sea Beast, but actually word of mouth about the Sea Beast is just as good as Puss in Boots for a lot of a lot of respects, man. So I am I I don't to be honest, this is one where like part of me thinks, you know, the Academy loves Guillermo. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They yeah. love Guillermo and he's he's the safe choice if you have to put if, if, the we, safe if we're choice. doing picks today, I would pick him. Yeah, but it's also like the craftsmanship that went with in Pinocchio, which I know yeah. they they love. So I again, I wouldn't be surprised if Guillermo comes out of it here, but again, nonetheless, very 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 proud of this category. Yeah, you know, Pinocchio wasn't even my favorite animated movie from last year. Like, I actually, if I'm being honest, I like Turning Red and Puss in Boots mm -hmm. and Marcel the Shell more than Pinocchio. But Pinocchio yeah, is still mm -hmm. great. Uh, and shout out to Puss in Boots. It just crossed like 335 million worldwide at yeah. the box office. Like you said, that word of mouth is just going mm -hmm. crazy. It's sticking around, having really long legs. And Turning Red, we're going to discuss it a little bit later as well, just in terms of the amount of minutes viewed on Disney Plus, it was one of the most viewed films on streaming all year. So Crazy. It, it's just, it's incredible to see animation in a really healthy place. But as you said, the craftsmanship and the fact that Guillermo is just a really, n nobody dislikes him. He's like the nicest guy in Hollywood. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> kind of seems like an obvious choice um, at this at this particular point. But I'm just glad to see it's such a strong category and definitely intend to check out the Sea Beast before Academy Awards night. Let's move on to Best Original Screenplay. So here we have The Banshees of Inna Sharon, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. Man, this is a really strong category. Mm -hmm. I think uh, those, those those screenplay categories, both original and adapted, are always really impressive across the board. And this one is is certainly you know sort of living up to that expectation. I think um, I, I said it when we were talking about our top tens. I do think that the Banshees of Inisherin had the best script mm -hmm. of any movie last year. But I, come on, like Tar, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Triangle of like all of these, man. I mean, they're just really sharp sharp scripts. Really great writing across the board. And I think. Um, it, it can kind of be a toss-up, really. It, it mm -hmm. can, but I do think that this might be an indicator of just where things are leaning for the entire night. When we start to craft, mm. like, well, what's the narrative? Who's walking away with, like, the most amount of trophies? Yeah. Where does the momentum seem to be swinging in terms of best picture and best director? I think that this is going to tell a lot because we're seeing a lot of repeated n nominees here, like Banshees, Fablemans, Everything Everywhere all, all at once. I think this is, a, this is probably going to tell us more when the night comes than, mm -hmm. we, than we might know now. Yeah, I... I think I might be slightly on the tar train here just because it's tar, man. The way the 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 screenplay in that film is just so I don't know, it's a lot, man. It's a lot going on. Kate Blanchett had to do a lot <laughs> with a lot of those words. A lot of those there's a lot of long shots in there. There is a lot of pretentious talk also in there, but understandable and pretentious on purpose, you know, for a reason. And it's like, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoy that film as a, as a screenplay, I think. And I, that's the, kind of the way I'm leaning as much as I love Banshees too. This is again, another amazing category. Just wow. Um, across the board, man, like you said, I think the energy, this will tell a lot <laughs> depending on who wins this, the, the, the energy will, will definitely start gravitating um, one way or another, man. But again, what a, what just another really good, solid, pieces of writing here man again uh previous years i don't know they didn't some of these sometimes it didn't make me feel like this but now looking at these man i'm like ooh, this could really go either way you they want it to in the academy so i think that's that's how it should be though it should be like this and so again another category i'm really happy to say um that i think they they got it right you know so yeah shout out to them yeah, it's going to be tough. Definitely going to have to give this some thought when we when we actually like put together and formulate our predictions. Um, best Adapted Screenplay is next. Here we have All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, Living, Top Gun Maverick, 
and women talking. And so um, this one is is also interesting just considering what is included here. Glass Onion receiving, I believe, the only nomination mm-hmm. out of any of the categories. But it's nice to see Ryan Johnson, you know, sort of be included here for something because Glass Onion is just such an, such an entertaining movie. Living is a film that has had a very, very limited release. Bill Nighy also got recognized. I think that's a movie we'll both still have to check out. I think it's going to have... I think it's going to have a theatrical run really, really soon here. I've seen some posters around yeah. it, so I think, you know, in the next like couple now. months we'll get it's a like chance. A, it's like a small, they got a small run right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really small stuff, and I think it's going to expand over the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm happy to see Women Talking here as well. I, I discussed that movie a couple of weeks ago, Sarah Pauly. That That's an incredible script. Mm-hmm. It's it's all dialogue, but the one that I, that I am a bit surprised about that didn't get included here was She Said. I thought that that probably would have mm. had a good yes. chance of picking up an adapted screenplay nomination since that is based on a book, but it's not included here. But um, how do you feel about this one? Uh, man, I I think what what, what what's interesting to me is seeing all question or uh, all quiet on the Western Front, knowing its history <laughs> in previous iterations of the film and how how beloved that is. I think that's interesting to just see it here again. Like somebody just took it and was like, "Hey, let's do it again." You know, it's twenty 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 two at the time. It's like, oh, let's do it again." So I think it's it's interesting to see that here. But man, seeing Glass Onion here, I was I was a little surprised just because. I, we didn't see it anywhere else. You know what I mean? It wasn't popping up anywhere else. And they give it a back, the best adapted screenplay. But I think I agree. Like, I'm happy to see they they like, here, Ryan Johnson, we should at least talk about what you did in this movie. You know what I mean? We should talk about it um, at least a little bit. Haven't seen Living, like you said. We got to we gotta check it out. I'm a, just a little surprised about Top Gun just because it, it doesn't scream this is what they were nominated for to me. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, like, I... Like you give it best adapted screenplay, but the cinematography is not in there. I don't know because it feels more like a cinematography movie than a best adapted screenplay movie, and it's it, yeah, it's just very interesting to see here. But again, glad to see you here. Haven't seen a woman talking, um, but again, I hear good things, man. So actually, this is probably one of the categories I feel like I have the least not skin in because I have seen you know half of these films, but I I like really don't know <laughs> which way it's going to go here. So I have to wait and see for me personally. Yeah, it's kind of anybody's game, I think. Um, I will say on behalf of Top Gun, Chris McHugh already won an Academy Award, so I think that there's just a little bit of adoration there for him to, mm-hmm. to come in. And he wasn't even the primary writer. I think he came in and touched that movie up, you know, and, and mm-hmm. done, did some rewrites like he typically does. I think Tom Cruise is like, yeah, man, we, we got to punch this up. Like, we got <laughs> we to make this even better. And so perhaps I think that that might have, you know, helped sway some of the votes towards that direction. It would mm. be... It would be sick if it won. I don't That'd think it will, crazy. but it would be, it'd be pretty crazy if Top Gun won a screenplay nomination. Like who who would have saw that coming? But um, mm-hmm. it's it's tough to pick out. Yeah, I, I agree. It's kind of it's kind of tough. You know, I think um, once we see Living, that might tell us a lot as well in terms mm, of like true. where the where the favorite might lie because that could have an incredible screen screenplay and and we just walk out and say like yeah that that feels like the obvious winner, but we'll have mm-hmm. to see. Let's move on to the acting category. So we have Best Supporting Actor. Up first, we have Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inisherin, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Keoghan for The Banshees of Inisherin, and Kihu Kwan for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Um, this is a great, this is a great field. I really, 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 really love who's represented here. Yes. You have two people from The Banshees of Inisherin, both Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keoghan, which I'm happy to see that. Brian Tyree Henry has to be the surprise for Causeway. I mean, yeah. we reviewed that movie. 
I don't know if either one of us, like we we had hopes, of course, like it's a really slow, quiet, very methodical movie in terms of its pacing and the conversations that are had. But I don't know if I would have walked out of that film like, yeah, it just seems like an absolute lock that Brian Tyree Henry is going to get acknowledged for this performance here, though he was great. And I'm just so happy to see it. Judd Hirsch comes into the Fablements only for like five minutes, but he does take over the movie. He's not yep. in it that long, but if mm-hmm. you see it, he owns the the small sequence that he's in, and sometimes that, that that's all it takes. But come on, is anybody really winning this award here outside of Kihi Kwan? Like, is he he's the front runner? He got to be. Yes, right. yeah, he's the favorite of the year, man. He has a story that nobody else has ever had. Um, he has a. Uh, an, an energy to him, a push that they're giving him and everything everywhere all at once. The award's already won. You know what I mean? It's really his to win, man. It's like a, it's it's one of the, probably one of my favorite stories this year in terms of the, the Academy Awards, just how it feels and when he tells his story and how it feels when he gives speeches and how it feels to what everything everywhere all at once not only means to, you know, the Asian community, but what it meant to him as a person in the industry. It's his to win all, all, all the way throughout, man. But like you said, what a great, category brian tyree henry getting calls what just the fact that he got nominated i was like well rooting for everybody black (laughs) brian tyree henry is here i didn't see it coming but also when you think about it like i have to throw it out there this wasn't like the most supporting actor year (laughs) ever in the world either and like the only other notable snub i remember somebody seeing was like i think paul dano you know in the fablemans a lot i think a couple people were talking about but man I'm, i'm pretty i'm pretty proud to see brian tyree henry here uh, Brandon Gleason. This is this is great, man. I really do like this category. Certainly. Best Supporting Actress, we have Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow for The Whale, Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inisherin, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Hugh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And so, um, similar to the Best Supporting Actor category, in this category, we have a couple of people from the same movie, both Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Hsu um, from Everything Everywhere All at Once. But um, another really impressive category across the board, I'm very, very surprised if i'm being honest to see hong chow here for the whale it mm-hmm. didn't seem like that there was a ton of momentum behind her but i'm glad that she's yeah. being acknowledged in that film and there's multiple performances being acknowledged carrie condon is also incredible in the band she's finished here and i expected her to be here um but I, I think that we have all sort of acknowledged and and recognizably so have bowed down to angela bassett because yep. th- this is her year to finally get to get that trophy and to to be acknowledged in the way that we all know that she deserves. She's been here before, of course, with other nominations, but I think that just all the heat is behind her. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and what she did in that film is just, it's seemingly at the front of the race. It, it would be hers to lose at this point, and I just I just can't see that happening because it's it's just too much. It's too much behind her. And I love everything, every wall at once. But we're gonna be we're gonna be in a situation where like the people that do vote for Jamie Lee or Stephanie, they're gonna split the votes. You know, mm. and that's gonna create a tough situation for either one of them to come to the front. So I think Angela Bassett just walks away with it. Yeah, I, I, it's Angela's to win. You know, it is what it is. Um, and everyone, like you said, has already bowed down to what to what you know is going on here. I I do think Ryan Coogler literally sat down and was like, we got to get her this nomination. What dialogue, what part of the movie <laughs> can we give this woman to make sure she gets it? And I think they did a good, tremendous job of using her um, in that film. Again, to not only, you know, serve the film and what it is, but to service Angela Bassett as a legendary actress and legendary, again, for us, black actress. Like, we, I wasn't even born yet, but I know in 93, everybody was like, 
So why she ain't getting no Academy Award for what's love got to do with it? <laughs> like, where's the where's the win here for that movie? Because um, she really is that tremendous, man. So, of course, in some ways, she deserves it right here for Black Panther. In other ways, I do feel like it's a little bit of a makeup call. Legendary. This woman should have been and had one. Give her this Academy Award at the same time. Both things, I think, exist here. And I love that about it. Only, only other thing I add, a couple of things to add. Hung Chow. Glad to see that she's here, man. The well kind of doesn't work without her. You know what I mean? Like when you watch that film. Um, also, we just seen her in the menu. So I'm glad she's coming around more. She really is a tremendous actress. And then Stephanie Shu, man, in everything, everywhere, all at once. This is only the beginning for her, which is I think another reason they won't give it to her is like she's one of my, I talked about this before. She was one of my favorite character introductions on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. She came in and ate that show alive. Everything, everywhere, all at once is just another performance that's like, she could easily become one of my favorite actresses really fast with a little bit more work. And I'm really excited to see her here. So, again, I, I love to see her, but it's definitely Angela's to win. Yeah, Stephanie almost, I mean, we know Michelle Yeoh is the best actress um, nominee in that in that film. But Stephanie, she, she comes in and takes over that movie. Like mm-hmm. in, in the halfway point, it really becomes a little bit more about her. It becomes kind of a two-hander. And uh, Hong Chow for The Whale, it, it almost feels like more people have seen the menu. And so it's like, oh, well. The whale is the one that's going to get nominated, but <laughs> we're kind of nominating nominating her for the menu because she's just incredible in that as well. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I just love the moment that she's living in right now that more people are just starting to recognize her name and her face across the board. So it's really it's really cool to see. Yeah. Let's move on to best actor. Here we have Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for the Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser for the whale, Paul Mescal for After Sun, and Bill Nighy for Living. So this is uh, this is another I think impressive category and. To be honest, it's hard to predict a winner, I think, at this point. For me, it feels like a three-person race. It Mm -hmm. feels like Austin Butler versus Colin Farrell versus Brendan Fraser. Like Those three are the front runners, I would say. That being said, Paul Mescal getting here for After Sun is incredible. You just said it like a week ago. Like You hoped that After Sun got something, like some sort of recognition. And I think appropriately so. His leading performance in that film is is mm-hmm. the one that's being recognized here, and then of course Bill Nighy, who I have no doubt he's he's phenomenal. He he's you know growing into just such a really notable and tremendous tremendously versatile actor. So can't wait to see Living. But this is this is hard to pick at this point um, because of the fact that I do think it's a three a three person race. But do you feel differently, or how how are you seeing this you know sort of shape out over the next few weeks? You know I. Um this is another one of those categories where I wanted one more person to slide in. And it's, it's another like movie. A lot of people haven't seen, nor is it. I won't say the greatest movie. It's a really good movie, but it's not, you know, Academy award. This is the top 10 movie of the year, but John Boyega and breaking is absolutely amazing. Um, I haven't seen again, living yet with Bill Nighy, but this is like one of, again, one of those things where I'm like, can we add one guy to this? Because re- after watching that, I was like, this dude is doing something different <laughs> that I haven't seen him do before. Again, the movie is fine. It's a, pre- it's a pretty good movie. But, you know, sometimes those performances are just tremendous, man. And I think John Boyega did something in that film. Paul Mescal and After Sun. I'm just so happy to see him here. I think this kind of feels like Marcel Deschel in the same way, where, like, it's such a under-radar but really good film that the Academy Awards usually wouldn't talk about, <laughs> you know what I mean? And they can't, they feel like they can't talk about because they have their own rules, which they should break them at some point. After Sun should be here somewhere outside of Paul Mescal. But 
I'm 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 just really happy to see it, man. I we talked about this dude is picking up work after after Sun now and the things he was doing, man. I'm 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 just really glad to see how they got the nomination. But I absolutely agree. I think it's the three man race here. Uh, you can't take anything away from Austin Butler and what he did in Elvis. Not my favorite movie. <laughs> I I probably wouldn't even agree it should be in the, in the movie list at all in terms of a best picture. But what he did in that film is undeniable to me. Um, Colin Farrell, the Banshees. I don't even have to say much about that. Just tremendous job all the way. We Again, initially, we were all on the Brendan Fraser train in the well. But because of trends and the way things are going, we're looking at this like, yeah, it's it's definitely a three-man race. Um, and I don't know which way it will, it will go. I don't think I'll be mad at either. But part of me does feel like they should still just give it to Brandon. <laughs> but again, we're, we're, we're going to have to see. Uh, but again, like you said, really good category, I think. Yeah, there's good stories behind a lot of these people, too. Brennan has a great sort of comeback story similar to Kihi Kwan, you mm-hmm. know, and I think that that's yeah. a, a big factor. Colin Farrell had probably the best year of his career last year between the Banshees of Inish Aaron, the Batman. Yeah. And I just checked out After Sun, which is also another just great film. He he was just firing on all cylinders so that that momentum might, might really carry him. But Austin Butler is like this new hot actor you know really really young has a tremendous career ahead of him you know if he can stay on track so it'll be interesting i think uh we'll, we'll be able to tell more in the next few weeks here but it's a, it's a competitive race to say the least now let's move on to best actress and this is um this is where really i think the the big conversation point comes out about oh, yes. who's included in this list but i'll just read off the nominees quickly kate blanchett for tar anna de armas for blonde andrea riseborough for to leslie michelle williams for the fablemans and michelle yo for everything everywhere all at once now I, I don't I don't really know where to start. I, I think that this is a this is a this is an interesting conversation on many fronts. Let let's just start let's start with the the surprise entry here, and that's Andrea Riseborough for To Leslie, mm-hmm. and and we'll get to the movie in a second. But nobody's heard of this movie nope. at all. It's made twenty seven thousand dollars at the box office, so literally nobody's seen it. You you really can't even have an opinion on it because it's been seen by so few people. And so when it made it in here, I think everybody collectively probably went like, wait, who? What? What is this? Except people that were in the know and, of course, have been a part of the voting and, and definitely were were sort of expecting possibly that this could potentially happen. Now, to Leslie, if you don't know, is a small independent movie that came out last year. Adrienne Riseborough has been acting for years now. Mm-hmm. She she She's a known name and face, but not a superstar, I would say. But the film came out last year, and the director, Michael Morris, his wife, Mary McCormick, is also in the industry, made a huge campaign to get this movie recognized and, and connected with a lot of people in the industry that she's very close with, most notably some some very prominent female actors, you know, people like Kate Blanchett, mm-hmm. Kate Winslet, um, um, Gwyneth Paltrow, like really really huge names in Hollywood, very influential people to really rally behind this movie and to get some buzz behind it. And also even Edward Norton held like a private screening to get more people to see it. I know there, there were there were additional luncheons that were, that were had because this film did not have a multi-million dollar Oscar campaign behind it like many of these films do. Like you can't drive down Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood and see 30 billboards right. for To Leslie because they just didn't have that type of budget behind it. So it was a really grassroots campaign to get Andrea Riseborough recognized here. Now, once this did happen and we saw that she was included, the conversation then became, well, wait, what? one, what is this movie? And secondly, well, who did she possibly knock out because of this grassroots campaign? Which I don't know if we can necessarily look at it that way, but the the notable snubs here 
which many people have sort of already acknowledged and recognized would be Viola Davis for The Woman King and then Danielle Detweiler for Till because Mm -hmm. they recently both just received Screen Screen Actors Guild Award nominations, which is the the acting branch, a part of that that particular guild, which is very similar to the Academy branch, which is the largest branch in the Academy. So there just seemed to be a big disconnect in terms of well, how did this movie make it in? Who, who, what is to Leslie even about? Like, just people just don't really have an opinion on it. So I think it just collectively caught everybody by surprise. But it's, it's, it's created just such a stir in conversation about mm-hmm. the political underpinnings of the academy, the fact that it is, you know, at the end of the day, just a club, you know, that people are a part of. And if people rally behind a particular thing that they want to see succeed, well, here's a case in point of how they can do it and achieve that. We'll we'll talk about the other nominees, but I do think that we do have to just talk about this campaign because it's it's yes. it's just out of nowhere, and and there have been you know similar sort of grassroots campaigns before, but I don't think we've ever seen it to this degree where somebody was able to come to the forefront of just one of the the big five categories and do so in just such a quick way because this all happened very very fast. What what do you just think about the makeup of this and how it all shook out? Man, oh man, I don't even know where to even begin or where to start here because it's so I don't even know what the word is like how did we get here like Tues Leslie at this point in time right now has made $27,000 $27,000 in a limited release and we know as you just said the academy not only works it's not just meritocracy right a lot of it is campaign a lot of it is how much money that somebody has you telling me this nomination got pushed in here after, and it was like a last, it was like a last ditch effort too, though, for the campaign. Like Kate Blanchard, about two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Kate, Kate Blanchard tweeting about it. I she just, gave up her speech at the, I think it was the Critics' Choice Award. She oh won for man. Tar and used that platform to big up Andrea Riseborough in in this film. Which, look, the I, you've seen the movie now. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've seen the movie. I. It's it's an incredible performance. I, I'm just going to say dip, that now. I, I, I think it's an incredible performance, and I, and I don't want to take anything away from it. I don't yes. think that she's undeserving, and this is all subjective anyway. It's 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 art. It's not like a sport right. where we can use numbers. But there is something to be said about the the, the political nature of it mm-hmm. and just how it all came to be, right? Yeah, exactly. Just how, how it came to be, how it got here. I absolutely agree. Performance is tremendous. But when you... Get the spot of two black women who also probably should have been, probably have bigger campaigns with more money behind them. (laughs) When you get that spot, people are going to look at that a certain way. I don't care what the campaign was. I don't care how it got in there. But when it happens, that is the nature of what you have now done. This $27,000 movie that, that it has made is now, it just looks different. Now that it has taken... You tell me Daniel Detweiler and Viola Davis isn't in this spot just because these last minute campaigns happen. It's I just how people are going to feel about it. It's how I feel about it. It's how I'm going to look at it. People have been talking about Daniel Detweiler for like six months. You know what I'm saying? People have been talking about Viola Davis and the Woman King for the same amount of time. And this woman makes it in with a movie nobody has heard about. Uh, it just... I don't know where to start or where to begin there again or, or how to tear that apart, but it's it does it's just not a good look. Again, the movie is fine. The tr- the performance is tremendous. If it had come out earlier, 
in the year, made more money. Kate Blanchett maybe talked about it not two weeks ago. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, then maybe I would feel different. I don't feel different because that's not what happened. And and because of that, there's it's a problem. It's a problem. The academy. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't even feel like it should be possible to do this, but it it is. And and now instead of me saying, "Oh man, I really love Andrea Riseborough and Two Leslie," now I have to sit here and say, "Man, Andrea Riseborough and Two Leslie stole the spot from two black women who probably should have those spots." To be honest, there's two spots on. There's three spots on here <laughs> that don't make any sense to me that those two black women should own. Is this the weirdest one? Yes. But like, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and so, yeah, it's a problem. They go, they, uh, uh, this is this is the, the nomination that felt like we took two steps back after taking one step forward. Because the past couple of years, we've been like, okay, Academy, you did decent. Academy, you did decent. This nomination comes out and the way it came about felt like we took a couple steps back with, 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 with all of this. So, yeah, it's, I definitely feel some type of way about it, but it's, it's, yeah, it's more to be discussed. So a couple things. First and foremost, 93 of the 94 winners of the Best Best Actress Academy Award have been white women. Uh, the only person that's ever won this award that is not a person that of, of Caucasian descent is Halle Berry. She's the only black woman to have ever won this award before. So historically, black women have just either not been represented largely in this category and and to a much 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 smaller degree have been represented in the winner and and who comes out on top in this category now when you look at this year's field personally and if i'm being honest i feel more strongly about anna de armas for blonde being here than i do <laughs> andrea riseborough for two leslie yes the campaigning and what what unfolded over the past couple of weeks is mm -hmm. weird and i'll get to that but blonde is just it's an awful movie. It's, it's hard to get through. It's not good. As 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 fine of a performance as she might have given, as 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 beautiful as it may have been, and I know a lot of a lot of actors have recognized that. Colin Farrell at the Golden Globes gave a whole spiel to her right in front of her face, like he cried at her performance. So I get that they're probably seeing things that I can't see and I can't get past. But I'm I'm actually more upset at, at, at her inclusion for this mm -hmm. award, not her personally, but just that performance in that film, than to Leslie. Now. Andrea Riseborough is obviously the elephant in the room because nobody heard of this movie. Nobody's seen it. Which you said it perfectly. This this is not necessarily about merit. I do think it's an incredible performance. I think that that, it, that movie revolves around her. If you yes. see the movie, I think she deserves to be acknowledged. I really do. And she's a, she's a tremendous talent. I've seen her in other things. Mm -hmm. And she's really, really good. I think the issue is, is that we've reached a place where finally... You have black films, black filmmakers, black actors and actresses who have started to gain the resources that it takes to be placed in these positions. When you look at films like The Woman King or Black Panther Wakanda Forever, these big movies that have big studios behind them that can pump in the money necessary to deliver a multi-million dollar campaign to get in front of the eyes of Academy members, we've now reached that place where that is becoming more of a reality. The Woman King has... Damn near every ingredient that you can ask for out of a movie that would typically be acknowledged here. It's a sword and sandals movie. It has a notable director, Gina Prince-Bythewood. Viola Davis is largely respected and very much loved across the Academy, as we know. It's a historical epic. It's based off of real events. Like, it did well at the box office. People generally loved it. Like, it has everything you could ask for. 
in terms of what can make it in here. I do wonder, and this might not be fair to say, and it might just be a representation of where we are, but I do wonder if Black Panther Wakanda Forever took up the space of The Woman King. There's some similarities across the board in those two films. Mm -hmm. If we're just being honest, there are some similarities, and there's only but so many spaces. There's only five represented spaces in most of these categories except Best Picture. And I do wonder if you just look at the the board again because of what people see and what they don't see and what they're going to invest their time into, even though they probably should be watching everything. They're probably going to go to the Marvel movie that they know that already has like a pedigree as opposed to the one that they just, you know, they didn't get to. That's not right, but it just might be a factor. Just something I want to point out there. But I think at the point that we finally get to the place where the resources are now being put into these black films to now get these campaigns up and running, now the rules have changed yep. all, all of a sudden. It, it, feel, it feels like the goalpost has been shifted. Mm-hmm. Oh, so in actuality, it just takes a bunch of really notable A-list actresses to get behind a particular mm-hmm. performance, to tweet about it, to tell their friends about it, to host a few private screenings. Now this can be pushed to the forefront. That's always been the case. It's always existed. But in this particular year, as you said, when there's two other black women who gave off some some pretty tremendous performances, the optics are, are they're, they're starting to look a particular way. Um, again, this is not to tear down Andrea Riseborough and her performance. It's more so to just lament the fact that there is a system in place designed yes. to favor white people in this system, and particular, particularly in this category, white actresses, because the white actresses are the ones... They rallied around Andrea Riseborough in this movie. Mm-hmm. The Kate Blanchett's, the Kate Winslet's, Gwyneth Paltrow, Christina Ricci just came out today and said something. You know, so of course they're going to gravitate towards it because this is the movie that they're going to spend their time to see right. and tweet about and and do this campaign. But we've never seen this type of support for any other black films. We've never seen any other you know white actresses or white actors say you have to see that movie. You mm-hmm. like that? That is a performance of the year. That that really that should be recognized. We've never seen that type of support. So now the rules are changing again. And so in the next five years, a small black film is going to have to figure out how can we be a part of this conversation? Mm-hmm. How can we how can we go against the grain and do something different? Because spending three million dollars on a campaign doesn't it doesn't get the job done anymore. But it's always got the job done. What the fuck is that about? You know, so it's a it's a really tough conversation. And I think it's really weird. And, and there's a lot of varying opinions on it. I don't know what's right and wrong at this point. I do know that it's disappointing um mm-hmm. and and it's it's a bit frustrating to see that stuff like this can go down so much so that like now the academy is apparently investigating this whole thing you know which is like what are they really going to do probably not shit like <laughs> yeah they're investigating if 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 to leslie technically broke any rules cuz you can't you can't promote a movie over any other potential nominees you can't say oh to leslie compared to what I saw, you know, for mm-hmm. the rest of the year and specifically name out actresses or other movies. Ah, you can't mm-hmm. you can't do that. Right. That's that's technically breaking the rules. But I think other films and other campaigns have broken rules before. So like what are we really mm-hmm. what are we really investigating? Is it just to say that we did something? Mm-hmm. Just to acknowledge that there's blowback, you know what I'm saying? So I don't know, man. I don't know how to feel about it really at this point. It's just it's a lot of emotional feelings. But then you look at the rest of the category, Kate Blanchett, Michelle Yeoh, I feel like they are the two front runners. Yes. They are the two likely to be, you know, the ones to win. But those other but three. <laughs> the other three, it's like, okay, you know. I, don't know. I like Michelle Williams in the Fablemans, but then I there's like? some there there's mm, some people like. there's some people that would say but but that's subjective though, you know, to at the end right. of the day. Like no, you're right, we might have right. liked her, but other people are probably gonna say, like, well, she that was her movie. It was it was really from, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it was from her perspective. I'm not mad at her being in here. Again, I, I wouldn't I'm not I'm not here to take out anybody per se, though I have personal feelings about everybody. It is more so just to speak to the fact of just like how things are working lately. But mm-hmm. 
I do think Kate Blanchett wins at the end of the day. It, like it's a conversation we're having right now, but I think Kate, t- I think Kate walks away with it. Um, I think Michelle Yeoh is a close, close, close second, but it just feels like Tar and Kate, and just like everything that everybody has said across the years, like she's the one prime to win. She's going to get her third Academy Award after all this. Yeah, I think that's what'll end up happening as well. As much as I want Michelle Yeoh to win, in fact, when when we do do our prediction, you know, our, our list comes out, I probably will just be the hopeful guy as I usually am and put Michelle Yeoh as a winner on my list but I do I do see Kate Blanchett also just getting those eyes and getting the talk um so I think that, that people might end up going with her for Tar as well um uh, but yeah man it's just yeah it's easy to be frustrated at this category for sure yeah let's talk about best director here we have Martin McDonald for the Banshees of Inisherin, the Daniels for everything everywhere all at once Steven Spielberg for the Fablemans Todd Field for Tar and Ruben Oslin for Triangle of Sadness and so um I think impressive across the board but notably no people of color necessarily well outside of Daniel Kwan um who is a person of color no other people of color represented in this category you're not seeing jordan peele here you're not seeing gina prince by the wood here you're not even seeing ryan ryan coogler or james cameron you know there, there's a lot of names left off of this list yeah um especially films that are included in the best picture category um so there there, there are a few people that i i would say are you know quote unquote snubs but i think i'm not that surprised by this if i'm being honest and 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 it 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 could potentially also turn into another three-way race. I, I think, you know, Martin McDonald makes a great case for Banshees. Mm-hmm. The Daniels are, are totally not out of it for everything, everywhere, all at once. That could be the surprise of the night. And, and Steven Spielberg, obviously, I mean, one of the greatest of all time, yep. telling essentially his life story finally. that That's a story to tell in and of itself, awarding him this award for, you know, sort of having the, the fortitude to, to bring this to the public. Um, there's a lot to be said about this category and, and, in recent years, I think we've seen a split. We see a best director win, but then that best picture doesn't correlate to the best director. Right. Typically, they kind of split the vote. So I don't know if it'll really tell us much on Academy Night, but it's still mm. a strong category, I would say, nonetheless. Yeah. Part of me is wondering if they do revert to that, though, this year. I don't know. Something about this best director category feels like, okay, who are you picking for <laughs> for for movie of the year? I don't know why it feels like that to me this year, uh, but we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, the, what still does feel weird, just a little bit, is triangle of sadness um it's something about it that i don't know again uh, there's so many websites and people and people that talk and they do they do their predictions and then none of the people that i've watched were like ruben oslin for triangle of sadness is going to get a nomination i don't know that just feels weird to me like i don't usually some i don't know usually i'm like we're able to predict and and get it but maybe the academy just felt different about that movie than other of us felt i don't know than than than, than other people felt it's a very interesting i've seen him on a lot of like outside he, he it wasn't like a top five thing but i've always seen his yeah. name included in the conversation at least mm-hmm. you know so I'm, I'm not i'm not that surprised to see him here um mm-hmm. and triangle i think triangle of sadness is a great movie um yeah. but but he, it was i think he was more of an outside shot initially coming into this conversation mm-hmm. and, and sort of etched his way in there but if i if i am being honest i don't know if I'm thinking back to the directors of the year, I don't know who realistically would have superseded him. We we talk right, about yeah, James no, Cameron, what you mean, for Avatar, for sure, yeah. you know, we talk about um even even Joseph Kaczynski for for Top Gun Maverick, but those kind of feel like now in hindsight, those kind of feel like, well, they had a chance, of course, because you know, those mm-hmm. films did incredible, but did they ever really get get any sort of like hot contention behind them, especially James Cameron, who's been there so many times before. But that's true. Um 
it you know it, it's a it's a tough field again you know even 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 Boz Lorman for Elvis probably could have been in there too because Elvis was seen by more people and had a lot behind it so uh there, there yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of questions you know I think it, it's always the the case of okay this got nominated for best picture but then this did not get nominated for best director so like exactly. did the movie direct itself like how did that work you know how, how do we end up here right so yeah, no it would be like super weird if like. Again, anybody in this best director category wins, and then somebody who's not in the category gets best picture to me. Like, let's say, let's say the Daniels get it for everything, everywhere, all at once, and they're like, mm, "But the best picture of the year was Elvis." I'd be like, <laughs> "All right, now, like, are we, <laughs> like, what are we, <laughs> what are we really doing here?" Oh, kind of times, I would be just a little confused. Um, and what, what I, I, I do feel like if somebody in the best director. Somebody else in the best director could still win best film, if that makes sense. Everything, everywhere, all at once wins best director. I could see Banshee's Vanish sharing a movie of the year. If like, sure, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they were also nominated for best director. I feel like, they, like you said, recent years, they have been deviating out a little bit. So I could see that. I just don't see anybody still outside of this best director winning best film. I don't think they're going to give it to Avatar. All clear, what's the front? And I think it makes sense um, when you kind of look at the list here. But it's like you said, it's stacked, man. It's, it's another crazy one where it's like, Yep, that's fire. Yep, that's fire. Yep, that's fire. So I'm, 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 I'm excited, man, to see which which way they lean here. I, I, I will say, you know, as we go do go into best picture and and what we just got done talking about for best actors, would have loved to see Gina here, Jean, uh, Prince Blackwood yeah. here. Would have loved to see her in this best director category. Just knowing, she said that shoot wasn't easy for her either, and just knowing what they went through um, on the Woman King is, yeah, it's it's it's, it's just it's, it's still a little disappointing and sad, but. Again, still a really good category. For sure. Um, and last but certainly not least, Best Picture, which we have 10, 10 nominees. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. Um, if I'm being completely honest here, I think that this is super strong in this year in particular. I would have liked to see some other films here. Like, mm -hmm. I would have liked to see The Woman King, of course, and we talked about that. But right. if I'm being completely honest, I, I'm really, I'm actually really pleased by this. Mm -hmm. I like all of these movies on this list, except Elvis. That's the only one where I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, what are we, what are we really doing here? Everything else, though, if I'm being, I'm, if I'm being transparent, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm very satisfied with this list. I think it's, I think it's balanced. You have a couple of blockbusters here, which we haven't seen in a few years. Avatar mm -hmm. and Top Gun yeah. and Elvis all made a lot of money. You have the, the the film that really nobody saw coming that ended up exceeding every expectation for the mm -hmm. entire year and st stuck around with everything, everywhere, all at once. You have a really auteur-driven story about a director and his upbringing, The Fablemans. Women talking is is really you know sort of looking at at, at a sort of a political situation you know with, with women that that's an all female fronted cast triangle of sadness representing international stuff all quiet on the western front doing the same thing and as well as a war film I, I think I think there's a, a great a great amount of variety here if 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 we're just looking across you know all the different nominations and so um, it, it's. It's tough to say. I do have a pick for this category. I won't reveal it yet, but it mm -hmm. is. It it, it can it, it can still go a couple of different ways. I think that there's still at least like three strong contenders here. Yeah. Um And and I wonder. I don't know. I wonder if ten nominees is needed. I I, I think yeah. eight. I think eight can really get the job done. Like mm -hmm. I, I want more than five, but ten. Now that I'm really you know starting to look at this year by year. Um, 
we might see a situation of like, well, they might reduce it. I don't know if they will. They probably won't because they, they mm-hmm. get yelled at every year for doing so. But I would be fine with like eight. Eight really strong ones can still. Elvis here, I'm like, okay, we don't need that one. But be that as it may, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with what's included here. Yeah, I do feel like you can, you know, shave shave a little bit of stuff off now. Um, for me, again, looking at this list, I'm like, ah, I could probably take that off, probably take that off. You know what I mean? And I feel like, you know, uh, maybe like you said, they might go down. Maybe next year is like, we're like, oh, man, we're happy they kept all team because <laughs> this, this is ridiculous, you know, kind of type thing. But, again, I, I think I – I do still like people being at least recognized a little bit for the work they put in this year. Like again, I said at the top of the year, man, it's a very, very com- uh, uh, competitive field because of again the variety. You know, like we said, this all of these look amazing. All of these are very different films, and uh, I think we haven't really got that all the time in, uh, in in previous years. But it should be, yeah, it should. Like you said, I, I have a pick. <laughs> I won't reveal it yet either, but. I, I definitely see a couple ways that it could still go. Um, and again, sometimes we both me and you know, as sometimes the night goes, you go, mm, they won that award. They might win this other award or they didn't win this award. They might not win this award. And so it's starting to feel like that as well. We're just going to have to see how it shakes out. But again, I, this is a pretty great, <laughs> pretty great list here. And I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see all these films here for the most part. Again, just those weird small snubs and you know i I just have to be sad about woman king man i can't help it i I can't help it um shoot and in a lot of ways i am i am kind of sad about rr too you know i don't i think it you know also would have had a spot here as well but um it's 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 still looking good to me yeah before we wrap up here i do want to shout out the batman got three nominations babylon also got three nominations it didn't get really any love from like the big categories but love that movie still so it didn't Mm -hmm. get get nominated um but yeah some other notable snubs as you said the woman king nope you know pretty much got shut out across the board um those are films that i know we both elevated you know across the the end of the year and stuff like that and and wanted to see acknowledged in some capacity but but was not but we will of course be back again the week before the academy awards airs to present our final predictions for the academy awards this year so definitely be on the lookout for that and with that being said we're going to go ahead and transition and talk about the latest episode of hbo's the last of us which just premiered this past Sunday on the streaming network HBO Max. And we are super excited to discuss this show continuously every week. I know we're both very, very high on the series thus far. The first two episodes did so many incredible things in terms of an adaptation standpoint. And of course, just from a storytelling standpoint, with the inclusion of some new things and some new elements that we weren't necessarily expecting. But episode three had a bit of a different conversation around it. Many, many people who had saw this episode early, many critics and journalists were praising this one, in particular saying this is easily the strongest episode of the season, and it very well may be one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in recent memory. There, there were just there was so much conversation around it. And so before we talk about the details of everything that happened with this week's episode of The Last of Us, just want to start and talk about our general big picture thoughts. And so I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about the latest entry of The Last of Us? Man, we're we're only in episode three of The Last of Us, and it may already be the greatest video game adaption <laughs> that we've ever seen. It is impressive what they're doing. Um, it is again, man. It's one. It's one of those things where all you have to do is care and and take care of it and know the story you're trying to tell. And they're doing that, man. I think they have all the right people involved. I think it's it, again, it's crazy after three episodes that this TV show has impressed audiences and critics. Really, it was at first it was just the first two, 
And they add this one, which is probably one of the more also like emotional episodes, <laughs> you know, that we've seen so far. If not the most emotional episode that we've seen so far, man. It's a tremendous way to adapt the story um, between Frank and Bill. Because this does not check out like this in the video games. I'll tell y'all that. <laughs> this is not the same thing. They do something different here. But not only that, they do something more meaningful. They do something that has a little bit more weight to it. They do something that adds to the story of what of, of, of what Bill and Frank was and, and, and who they were, man. And so it's, it's, it's very much one of those episodes that I know I'm going to watch again because... It just made it just made me feel something different <laughs> that I hadn't that I couldn't even imagine. I actually I thought I would feel out of The Last of Us. I am coming here from the video games expecting I don't know something, but this gave me something else entirely that I was not ready for, and I have to commend them for that. Man, I think the writers, the cast, and the crew being able to 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 do things in just one episode the way that they do it here is so well done. It's so story driven. This wasn't an episode that was like. The action is over the top. None of that. It was all about the world building. It was all about the relationship building. And, and to be able to do that the way they did it here in this episode, it's impressive, man. Um, so, yeah, long story short, I loved it. I thought it was tremendous. I need to sit on it a little bit longer in terms of recent memory greatest episode just because, I don't know, a lot of TV has happened. <laughs> but in, 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 It's competitive out here. But I, I really did love this episode, man. And, uh I can't wait to see what they do episode four now. If this is the energy we own, let's do it. Pine Barrens, College, The Battle of the Bastards, The Reigns of Castamir, Ozymandias, Felina, Face Off. These are some of the greatest episodes of TV I've seen in the past 25 years from some of the greatest shows. And coming into this hearing that this particular episode of The Last of Us could be held in comparison to what we've seen out of those those shows. It, it's a high bar to set. Mm -hmm. And after I watched it, after sitting there for 75 minutes and experiencing it, I'm here to say they are absolutely right. <laughs> episode three, season one, The Last of Us, long, long time. It's one of the finest episodes of TV I've ever witnessed personally can't speak for anybody else but this is damn near a masterpiece in terms of storytelling emotion character beats even action which is included briefly mm -hmm. everything that you can want out of an emotional experience and investing into what you see happen on screen they just did such a masterful job at getting you to buy in so early to this story and as i was watching it it didn't even feel like I was watching a TV series. It felt like I was watching a motion picture. That's how engaging and enthralling it was for me. And by the end of it, I was a fucking emotional wreck. I was through and done. I couldn't do anything else last night because of how much of an emotional toll it took on me to mm -hmm. witness this story between Bill and Frank, who are the focal points for this particular episode. And they achieved so much with such a small amount of time, not only for them, but also really for the primary characters that we are following and that we will continue to follow. Because, mm -hmm. yes, it's an isolated story. Yes, it does sort of take place outside of the linear timeline that we're following. But it also served a greater purpose and ultimately fed the larger story 
that they're unfolding in the season of The Last of Us. And I was astonished. Truly, I was astonished. I, I, there's, few, there's few hours of TV that have wrecked me that much. I've only come across it a handful of times. I named a few of those episodes. There might be a few others that I've recently come across from other series that I'm that I'm just, you know, really high on. But this for me is now included in that list just because of everything that they achieved. And I'm just it's really it's really awe inspiring to see them do it so early Mm -hmm. that that type of achievement you don't typically see out of shows until their later seasons when they really get their stride. You get the directors and the filmmakers, they, 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 you know, by season three and four and five, it's like, we know what, we know what we're doing. We know how these characters are. We know how they function. We know all the ins and outs about them. So we can really craft something that's going to be just different and unique and, and hit you emotionally in all the right places. And, and the fact that they achieved this within three episodes of this series is, it's quite a feat. And, and you, you can't even necessarily say, well, yeah, you know, you can leverage the video game because it is so different. This is pretty much an original story. Mm-hmm. Like there's stuff lifted from the game, but none of this is in the game. Like none of this. And so exactly. I, I just can't I really can't put it into words how impressed I was by this hour of TV. It, it's really that damn good. And if you haven't bought into The Last of Us yet, this is the episode that will get you to buy in. If you are turned off by the the horror and the frights and the eeriness of the series, this is the episode that'll show you. It's about much more than any zombie shit, than any affected shit. It's about so much, so much more than that. It's a love story at the end of the day, which they've always set out to do with the video games. And it's being perfectly, I think, translated thus far in this TV series. I'm amazed by it. With that said, let's get into the spoilers of this. Let's talk about it in detail. If you've not seen episode three of The Last of Us, go watch it on HBO Max. Come back and finish the rest of our conversation. Before we get to Bill and Frank, I think Mm -hmm. we should start off with Joel and Ellie. Because we left off with those two characters in last week's episode. We saw the death of Tess, her sacrifice. And this episode actually opens with a really tender moment of Joel sort of acknowledging his love for Tess. And he builds this this monument of rocks to really just sort of acknowledge her, acknowledge the loss that he just suffered, and and sort of mourn her for the very brief moment that he's able to do so. Mm -hmm. And from there, we get a small but important interaction between Joel and Ellie. Because I think that this is the first time that they're truly building their relationship. So far, Ellie has just been a package for Joel. She's just been an objective. Get her to this place so that I can get this thing. But now, as we know, based off of the video game, there's much more to their relationship than that. And they finally started to really lean into that. They're starting to get to know each other. Ellie's asking questions. Mm -hmm. We're starting to get an understanding of her outlook on life versus his. She's much more optimistic and has a sense of wonder and awe. He's obviously very pessimistic and hardened <laughs> by his whole life. We're seeing that contrast in, in really unique ways here in just their conversations and dialogue. What did you make about just the brief time that we spent with them in the first about 10 minutes of this episode and just seeing their relationship develop in this way? Yeah, it's so interesting how, you know, how big I think the loss of Tess actually looms over this episode, you know, um, more we'll talk about later. But there's... There's so much that Joel never spoke to and in some ways will never speak to. It's just who he has become as a person who is now closed off from the world and has been closed off from the world since the death of Sarah. And now we're finally here, I think, in this moment where him and Ellie are actually alone for the real first time. (laughs) You know, there is no test. And now he's like, okay. There's still part of him that like had a daughter. I think was what, what one of the things I really like about the open where they're in the woods, like his jacket is all over her uh, her knees as it keeps her warm, even though you know they're not close or anything yet. But it was just like, oh, this is a, 
already at least something is happening. She she is under his care, and I think that's a very important outlook in the way um, to look at things right now, right? Where Joel looks at it as right now, she's still kind of a job. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a job to do. I need you. You need to get here. I need to take you here at this spot, and that's all I can do for you. Um, but like you said, she 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 sees the world so much different from here, man, because she's never experienced anything. And in some ways, in Joel's mind, she's experienced everything. And they're so different but so similar at the same time that it's like a tornado of people. <laughs> and they're always going to clash heads, and then sometimes they get along, and then they won't. It's just very interesting to see their dynamics, and we definitely see that see that um, in the in, the, in these uh, in this episode, man. When we open up with him, I love how she's asking questions, but I also love how like he doesn't answer all of them because that's how somebody who is closed off would act. You know what I mean? That's how long it would take somebody to open up and a lot of what joe never even opened up to test you think he's gonna open up to ellie day one <laughs> you know what i'm saying And they don't do that um they really do take a slow approach he's not a lot of times he's not even answering questions about himself he's answering questions about the world or you know what i mean something else it's not really always about joel yet and so uh yeah man i think they're just doing a good job um uh, portraying what ellie and joel are supposed to be um and yeah, they're really doing it beat for beat and i love that about it yeah it's great to just see her just be so amazed by an airplane. She said, dude, you got to go in the sky. I've never gotten a chance to do that. And Joel is just jaded by all of that because he's like, you know, planes, they were so terrible. You rode coach. You were in the middle <laughs> seat. You just hope to get a window seat. Like that's his outlook on mm -hmm. life. And she's younger and his experience much less. And she's looking at it from from a half glass full sort of standpoint. And I think that that definitely informs just the way that they play off of each other. As you said, that's going to be something that we continue to see develop and grow over the course of these next few episodes. Another thing that I do want to point out is the moment in which they go inside the, I believe it's like a gas station or just a place in which Joel has been to before to get some supplies just to sort of stop for a quick second on their hike. Ellie goes into this basement. She's looking around, searching for stuff. She finds some tampons, which, you know, mm -hmm. Joel's not looking for that, but she's going to, she's obviously going to pick that stuff up. She's a, you know, a young woman, a girl. She goes down into this basement and sees an infected person. He's trapped under a pile of rocks. He's pretty much helpless and, and probably slowly but surely dying. And we see this almost sadistic side of Ellie come out where she is kind of toying with this infected. She makes the incision cut across his forehead and we see we see the fungi start to pop out of his head, which still just it, it's gross to see. I can't, I can't get over that. Mm -hmm. It's really weird to see that the cordyceps growing out of his head like Ugh. that. And then we see her, you know, sort of stab him, you know, and, and ultimately kill him. But she does so in a really slow way, almost, again, in a really sadistic way. And then another piece of this episode, Ellie just wants a gun. She wants a gun so badly. And Joe's <laughs> like, no, you're not getting a gun. Stop asking. Even Tess, like, denied her, like, you're not getting a gun. And she ultimately does find a gun when they make it to Bill and Frank. She gets Frank's gun. What do you make about just the way that they're portraying that? Because in playing the video games, as we know, Ellie's vicious. She's very, very, she's very savage. And she, she gets is. to even worse places and darker places over the course of time. What do you think about just the small ways that they alluded to that? I think this is one of the reasons they chose Bella Ramsey because, again, we see her in Game of Thrones. But we see, we know that she can play uh, a character that is, you know, a cute kind of little girl. But also, you uh, might be just a little bit of crazy in there. You know what I'm saying? It might be a little bit of sadisticness to you. But I think this is again another good job because it shows it, it's very clear that ellie hasn't lived the life that most of the other people on earth right now right she's quite almost literally born in an apocalypse 
and she her her childhood is different than most and and in some ways her naiveness like you said it comes from the awe and wonder i've never been on a plane i've i've this car looks like a spaceship (laughs) you know what i mean kind of type thing but then the next second is I, i think she's never really had too many interactions that allowed her to be completely on on the human side of things that we've always been a part of, right? Like we went to like preschool and played with kids. Social skills, <laughs> and did right? Social skills, yeah, and did these normal things. Ellie, mm, maybe a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Not in the way that the rest of the world used to. And so I think we're just seeing glimpses of that come out where she, she's not a normal girl, at least not normal to us. And in some ways, she's probably the new normal, right? Let's say Let's say they throw in a new character who's Ellie's age, next episode episode after that that's not a flashback (laughs) right where and i'm sure that girl is probably just like her she doesn't know what's going on in the world there are some things that she also just wants to test that she's never seen test ellie has never seen the news ellie has never seen a viral video of people getting shot you know what i'm saying at some random concert you know she just hasn't lived through that um and i think Part, again, part of her nature is inquisitiveness, and I'm going to cut this thing open and see what happens. Oh, that's what it looks like. She never got the little kid, you know, the chocolate pies running around, the making mud. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? She never got that, and so this is her new playground. This is now where she lives. This is her, oh, what is that? What's that thing over there? Oh, what happens if you stab <laughs> this thing in the eye? It used to be a human, but now it's just a flower in the earth <laughs> kind of type thing. What happens if you poke it, you know, kind of type thing. So I love that we're seeing those sides of her because I think the world around her just kind of makes sense. Yeah, in this world, she's just never had that opportunity to, to, to experience those things. And so it's now becoming her experiment. Like, what happens when I do this? What will what, what'll, what'll, what'll cause this to occur, mm-hmm. you know? And it's it's always interesting because Bella Ramsey, her facial expressions do so much. Her eyes, she has just such visually emotive eyes that yeah. can really express those those feelings that we're, that we're talking about right now. And in the official Last of Us podcast on HBO from episode one, they talked about the fact that when Joel beat up that that Phaedra officer when he was, you know, mm-hmm. testing them and testing their temperature, Ellie felt activated by seeing somebody be so protective of her of her in a visceral way, in a really violent way. Like that that just unlocked something in her. And mm-hmm. so I think that that particular event, in addition to just the way that she's been brought up and her upbringing, has just largely influenced her her perspective on the world. It's yeah. a world of violence. It's a world of survival, you know, and so these things that she's slowly but surely doing that are alluding to bigger character beats down the line, I think are are, are brilliantly placed Mm because it's small stuff now. But when you rewatch this, you'll be like, yeah, it started there. We started to see kind of these things come to fruition in those smaller beats earlier in the season. Of course, we have to talk about Bill and Frank. And what I think is so interesting about this week's episode is sort of how they flip the formula. The first two episodes had those cold opens, which took place in the past, and then we come to the present day. This episode is largely focused on the past, and we mm-hmm. actually start in the present day, because this really is about Bill and Frank's story. Now, in the video game, Bill is a major character. He is somebody that you come across in the game, and he, he's there to achieve a purpose. He helps out Joel. He gets him supplies. He gets him a car. That stuff doesn't inherently change in this episode, but what they did do is vastly expand the backstory of Bill and Frank, right. who's a character who's really only alluded to in the video game that we don't actually see. 
And also in the video game, it's alluded to that Bill and Frank had a loving relationship, that they were partners, that they had a gay relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. But it's not really expanded. It's only implied. What they decided to do here was to really focus in on that and give us this love story between these two characters and really just unlock and open up something that you just really couldn't achieve in a video game. It's it's not the time that you can set aside for, for something like this because we are playing as Joel, and that's what we want to do. We want to go and shoot zombies and survive and find supplies and open up drawers and find like this this tape that we can, you know, heal ourselves later down the line and stock up on ammo. You don't want to take the time to go and just like watch an hour long cutscene. It's right. going to be boring, right? But you can do that in the medium of TV. And they just create so many moments of just impact and love and we get to know a lot about Bill, how he hates the world, he hates people. And so like this this doomsday situation is like his dream scenario. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much the entire planet is gone. He can go and loot the Home Depot and take supplies and create this <laughs> fortress for himself until he meets somebody that makes life worth living. He meets Frank and instantly Frank is able to clock Bill just from the jump like, oh, yeah, he's gay. He's mm-hmm. gay. I know it. Like, I see something in this guy because of the way he looks at me, the way he's treating me. There's something different here. And then we just see their relationship sprout from there on. There's so many moments to talk about here, but I just want to start generally, man. How, do you, how did you feel about this really expansive backstory that they gave these two characters? Because, again, none of this is in the game. This is the biggest deviation from the game that we've seen yeah. this far. How did you feel that they executed and landed this? What? Just what a good job, man. And, and I think this is why people... You have to call it an adaption sometimes. You know what I mean? They adapted this. This is not beat for beat what happened. If not, Joel would have walked in the door and got, <laughs> you know what I mean, hit by the trap upside down and had to fight some zombies off. This is not that. This is literally Bill and Frank and what their story could mean in the world that they have built within this TV show, man. It is, it's so, like, what is... A lot of times in Last of part of Last of Us as a story, even in the video games, is what is what does post apocalyptic love look like? That is one of the things that exists in in the games. They do give us that here a little bit in the first couple episodes with Te- Tess and him or Tess and Joel. You know what I'm saying? There's 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 always a little love here and there, but what does it look like here for real with Bill and Frank? I think they took the opportunity of again. We had never seen Frank in a video game. We had no idea what that man even looked like. <laughs> and they gave him a complete backstory of to how, shoot, and they even changed their relationship a little bit too, of how, you know, we, 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 get, we get Bill and Frank. And I love that they were able to tell such a romantic story so beautifully in such dark scenario. I think that's also what makes this so good. <laughs> it's To be honest, is like, a lot of these stories in post-apocalyptic love don't have happy endings. But in a lot of ways, this is like the happiest ending that you could ask for. It's with, very romantic, right? Between these two characters. And it it was it's it really is breathtaking in that way. It's amazing in that way to to be not to be able to think about that. Cause I can imagine being a writer of The Last of Us and you go, it has to end tragically. That's just how it has to. Not in this case, man. They they knew what they had. They knew the actors that they had. They knew what they were doing, and they went with it, man. I'm I'm just very I'm very happy 
with the direction they went here. Um, and it, I love how poetic it is too. You know, you know that that's one of the things I love about all of this is what not only the story you're trying to tell, but the takeaway from that story. And that's the poetry to me. That's that's what it is. And in, in in here, you can find beauty even in you know the darkest times and even in the situation that they were in, man. So yeah, I I enjoyed it a lot, and I think they did a tremendous job again adapting. A, a very good story. Listen, give Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett all the Emmys right now. This <laughs> this it. is just an extraordinary performance. They they deserve so much praise and recognition for what they were able to achieve here. The character of Frank coming into Bill's life, a person who was extremely closed off to the world, hated people, didn't want anything to do with any of this. Mm-hmm. Like he. He had a very self-sufficient lifestyle. He was able to make sure that his home was locked down and protected. He made sure that he can go get the supplies that he needed when he needed them. He's an excellent cook, clearly. He can make steak and and fritz and potatoes whenever he wants. He can have these really, really great meals. He's a very artistic person. He can play Mm -hmm. the piano. He can sing. He can do all these things. And so he was good. He's also extremely conservative, as we see. You can see Mm -hmm. the, the small things that makes him... It, 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 it makes sense as to why he is the way that he is, right? But then you bring along this Frank character who's the complete opposite of him mm. and opens up a love that Bill never knew even existed and does so in such a delicate and tender way that you just don't normally see, as you said, in the darkest of times and in the worst of circumstances in a yeah. world which is so bleak that has literally no hope. They've crafted this love story that has all the hope, that 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 sustains over time, that, that grows and, 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 and evolves because we get the, the flash forward. Three years later, they're arguing with each other, which mm. is what happens. That honeymoon phase in the beginning, shit was over in probably six months, you know? <laughs> now they have to deal with the realities. And you have Bill who just wants to protect what he has. And Frank is like, we can't just survive here. We have to live. We have to open this up. Let's invite people. Let's bring people here. Let's let's do something a little bit more. He's getting Bill literally to change and become a better person. And the small details is what I loved here because by the end of the episode, when we reach sort of the end of their lives, when they're older, mm-hmm. and you look at the house on the inside, the interior versus how it was in the beginning, Frank walks in there and he just wipes across the countertop and it's dust everywhere. Like the house is maintained, but Bill doesn't clean up necessarily. He, mm-hmm. just, he just maintains it. It's literally a fortress for him. When Frank comes along, over time, he's painting artwork. They paint the walls. You know, stuff like that is just a reflection on how much Bill has changed because of this person that he let into his life. Yeah. And it's just such a beautifully done job on the parts of them exceptionally well with their performances. But of course, the writers and the filmmakers behind this, there's just so many incredible moments. I think my favorite moment from this episode might have been at the piano when you mm. see mm-hmm. Frank walk over. He already knows that there's probably some songbooks underneath the the, the the seat. So let me open up this this you know this seat to see what's in here. And then Bill opens up about his mother and the way that Frank sings the song is totally different from how Bill sings it. They sing the exact same song, but in very different ways. And Bill does it from a much more, from a much more vulnerable and sad place, like mm-hmm. a longing for love. And I think that that was really kind of the moment where Frank knew, like, oh, this this is this is something different. I, I want something out of this. I see something in this person, and I sense a love and a desire there. And and I could possibly be that person for them. Um, were there any other like standout moments for you? I know we had we had Tess and Joel show up eventually to, yep. to you know sort of have dinner with them, and we saw how that relationship developed, and we also got to see the booby traps. We didn't yes. see how it was in the game, but the booby <laughs> traps 
were effectively used here. What were some of the other standout moments from you uh, for you from from just this whole sequence with with Bill and Frank? Yeah, shout out to the booby traps. Those were crazy. They, they were just sleeping and people <laughs> was on fire. I was like, what the heck is going? Oh, getting electrocuted and everything. Like, goddamn. <laughs> I was just yelling outside. <laughs> it was. I thought it was low key funny. Um, but man, one of my favorite parts I think is when you know uh, uh, Bill Bill tells Frank he was like there was. You, like you said, it's very. This, is, this dude was built for the apocalypse. This is one of them dudes who like been stacking up beans for his whole life, <laughs> like putting them in the shelter. You know, kind of. Oh, type COVID's guy. not shit. It's not shit to him. <laughs> he would have nothing. He would have outlasted COVID ten times over. It ain't nothing to him, man. Um, but that that was his thing for so long, right? And then the the apocalypse finally arrives, and in some ways, he's like, well. I've done it, you know, kind of type thing. Now what's next? And and there's that moment where he's talking, he's talking to Frank, man, and he tells him, he's like, you were my purpose. Uh, Boy, I almost threw something at the the TV. I was so goddamn good because his purpose had changed. The man had came into his life and, and, and made him his priority. Bill seen Frank as... Oh, and now I have something else to care for. That's not just myself. Something else to care for. That's not waiting for an apocalypse to happen. I don't need, or uh, you still need it. But I have, I have a room of guns. Now it's time to, like you said, allow allow this man to come into my life and paint. And we're gonna make strawberries. And we're, gonna, you know what I'm saying. And, and and it's crazy to let somebody let somebody in your life and it, it, it turn into you know just a beautiful experience. So when he told him that that he he's, he he was his purpose. I thought that was an amazing moment, man. That was one of my big takeaways. Such an excellent, excellent line, and 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 so well delivered by by Nick Offerman, and and I think it just illuminates the fact that in this story in particular, and probably if we're being honest in real life, that sometimes the price of love is pain mm-hmm. because you are allowing yourself to become vulnerable. You're allowing yourself to completely expose and open up yourself to somebody else and trust them that that's going to be your person and your partner for life. And that's what he did here with Frank. And because of that, there were vulnerabilities that Bill experienced that he otherwise wouldn't have experienced, such as meeting Joel and Tess and letting them in, or such as the Raiders showing up and trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, sort of infiltrate the the compound. Like Bill probably just would have taken care of that easy because he already had the, he already had the booby traps. He had the guns ready to go. So he could have just fended them off himself. But now Frank becomes his protector because bill ends up getting shot so it it almost becomes like this this really twisted thing you know where it's like well we thought it it was going to go this way but in actuality like that person is also simultaneously protecting you and he has something to lose as Mm -hmm. well even though he is probably more open than you have ever been and that was just such a, a, a an illuminating moment and i just love that you know, we do get the interaction between joel and bill Mm -hmm. and joel sort of telling him like listen you need other people to help you. We have things that you can't have here. Let us help you. Let's make some exchanges. Let's build a relationship here because you do have somebody that you want to protect. It's not just you here because if you just want to do a one-man stand-down with the rest of the world, so be it. But that's not your situation anymore. So you have to not only live here, you have to preserve this lifestyle. You want to make sure that you can see it when you're older. And they ultimately do, thankfully. We do see them grow old and Nick, um, not Nick, Frank is, 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 you know, sort of overtaken by, um, I, I would presume it's probably cancer of some mm-hmm. sort. He, he, he eventually becomes sick and ill 
and they misdirect us because you think that Bill's going to be kind of the person that might get sick and older first before Frank, but actually right. it's Frank. Mm-hmm. Frank really can't use his limbs that much anymore. He has to utilize a wheelchair. He has to sip out of a sippy cup. It's very sad. They have lived, you know, pretty long lives. I, I would I would surmise that they're probably in their seventies at this point. They, yeah. they they did use a lot of prosthetics and makeup to age them up, respectively. But this is you know likely the most emotionally powerful piece of the episode just because we see now them taking their destiny into their own hands and they mm-hmm. are having some agency in, in, in what their story is going to be. And Frank says, this is my last day. I I'm done. We, we, we have lived life. I'm ready to go out on my own terms. And he tells bill, we're going to go over to the boutique shop. We're going to find some outfits. Mm-hmm. We're going to get married. We're going to have a great dinner. And then you're going to take these pills, crush them up, put them in my drink. And I'm just going to fall asleep in your arms. And that's going to be it. And we get to see all of that play out. And I, I was literally, I'm not going to, I'm going to be honest. I was fucking crying this entire time watching mm-hmm. this whole thing unfold. Cause you know, the end of what's to come, you just yeah. see like, Oh my God, like this is, this is unreal. And it's, it's beautiful and it's tragic at the same time. Mm-hmm. But the way that they played, it was just, it was mind boggling to see them just do this in such a, a, a beautifully tender way. And you yeah. could have really messed this moment up, mm-hmm. but they landed it. And then the final shot of them rolling into the room, all the lights are on. The glasses are still on the table. Bill doesn't bother to clean up. Like, this is it for them. That is their final moment, which is a deviation from the game. You know, we don't see Bill nope. die in the game. We do see Frank die, but, um, well, we don't see him die, but it's implied that he dies mm-hmm. and he killed himself. But this is different, totally. They they essentially go out together on each other's terms and, and both, you know, die by suicide, essentially. But they do so in the name of love and in, in the name of just, you know going out together as opposed to letting some other forces take out, you know, their lives for, for, for whatever reason. Yeah. It makes, it, it makes the story so much more complete, I think, or at least again, it, it it's, it, it both enhances the beauty and the tragic of very different from what the game did. The game, there wasn't a lot of beauty. In fact, you know, there's the letter that frankly is just like, bro, I don't even like you no more. Like, I'm out of here <laughs> kind of type thing that he leaves Bill. It's very much a different story. It was a very, very sad story. But for for it to end this way, for for not only Frank to say I'm going, this is my last day, but for Bill to be like, no, nah, you tripping. You was, the, you was the last reason I had to live. I'm going too. <laughs> what are you what are you talking about? <laughs> You're about to just leave me here. Yeah, what are you talking about? What you thought this was you kind of type thing. I, I really do love that because again it services the story in such a different way when it comes when the letter comes and it says take care of 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 of, uh, of tests the the way that their story is now kind of being shifted over it's over to uh ellie and joel it's so interesting now to me i feel like as i continue to watch the rest of the episodes i'm like man Remember when Bill and Bill and Frank did this thing? Now it's kind of applying to Ellie and Joel, right? In a just a very different way. And what it again, what it means to accept that person into your life who can change your life, who can go on adventures together and all. I, I love it, man. I think it's I they're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing a damn good job. You know, you talk about the letter, which is another hugely pivotal piece of this, the suicide note essentially that Joel and Ellie discover. They do reach Bill's and Frank's compound expecting them to be there and, and, and ultimately finding that they perished. And Ellie reads that note and, and you have the moment of, of, of Bill writing, take care of Tess, do everything you can to protect her. And of course, Bill doesn't know that Tess has already died. Mm-hmm. And now how that's shifted 
to become Ellie as opposed to Tess because she has died. And so now we have two extremely vital moments between both Tess and Bill. The two characters that Joel has probably let in only since the death of Sarah, Mm -hmm. who have told him she is now your purpose. That is who you need to live for. Bill did so by proxy of Tess, right? He doesn't know Ellie, but of course, like, Tess can then translate to Ellie because that is the only person that Joel has left now. But we have two instances where the two people that were closest to Joel have essentially said, like, this is now what you are meant to do. You you have to protect this this young girl at all costs because her purpose is only is is not only greater to, to, to society and to human nature, but also because of where you've been. And we know you and we know what you've lost and we know how closed off to the world you really are. You have to do some things that are going to be uncomfortable. You have to go outside of yourself and you're going to have to make some very, very tough decisions, but make sure to do whatever it is that that needs to be done to make sure that that person is going to be okay. Mm. And that reflects Bill. Bill and Joel are so much alike each other. Mm -hmm. They're really the same person, even though they don't like each other. Technically, Bill mentions that in the note, but they're, they're very much similar in just the ways that their purpose has now been changed and driven by the existence of somebody else just naturally stumbling, stumbling into their lives that they, that they didn't anticipate. And, and, in the game, you know, without getting into spoilers, there were some de- decisions made towards the end of the narrative where I think it's I think it's a little less ambiguous on how you may feel about it. You you'll understand it, but mm-hmm. from my vantage point, it's like, yo, you should not have done that shit, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, don't do that. But now coming into the series, it's only accentuated those decisions and why he's going to make the choices that he makes in the exactly. future. It's like I can't be, I really can't be mad at you. I really can. I understand the bigger picture here, but Mm -hmm. dude, like what you've been through in your journey has now just meant something so much more than any one person can really fathom unless they've walked your shoes. And so I, I, I'm really speechless by it because it's just all going to come around towards the end of the season. It's going to be explosive. It's going to be just absolutely astonishing to see. And over the course of these next few weeks, we're going to see their journey continue as we said, the, the the relationship between Joel and Ellie is now starting to develop, really. And we're seeing more of those moments at the end of this episode. Joel lays down the rules. He accepts his mission now, which he hadn't done up until this point. He tells her, this is how it's going to be. You need to listen to me. Follow the rules. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do what I say. She agrees and accepts it. They get in the car. They drive away. And we get the last shot, which is just beautiful, of the window that Bill and Frank left open and we don't see their bodies. Thankfully, they just imply what's there, which is just like the perfect way to end off. How do you see these next few weeks going? We've had this huge deviation. Do you think more bigger deviations are in store for us over the remainder of the season? Or do you think that probably from here on out, they might stick faithfully to what we saw in the video game? You know, I think again, the overarching story for sure is going to remain the same, but I think a lot of these side, uh, uh, I guess side characters, you know, the people who Ellie and Joel come in, come into contact with throughout their journey, then they're going to always slightly change up, you know, what we, what we've seen from them, because again, the context is slightly different within the TV show. Even the fact that we could, we could spend time with, with Frank and Bill, you know what I'm saying is, is a kind of a blessing in itself. And I think there's a other, couple other characters, you know, that we kind of talked about in previous episodes that might be able to be given a little bit more of that time. I don't think they'll go with, this deep into it i think this was the one for them to say okay this is a foundation thing but i definitely think we'll see them make a, a couple changes um for those other characters uh at some point in the tv show so yeah a little bit half and half like a again overarching story i don't think they'll change much but stuff like this to make good tv i think they definitely will 
I agree. I think that this was the one moment where they took all the agency to say we're changing a lot of shit here. Mm-hmm. This was their this was their one moment, and I do I do anticipate that the rest of the story will mostly follow what we've seen in the video game. Of course, with enhancements, with subtle changes, mm-hmm. with substitutions, you know, with with all that stuff, you know. But I think that this 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 is going to be the one example where we're like that wasn't in the game, dog. But when you go back and play the game, or if you play the game for the first time, and you maybe have watched the show for the first time before playing the game. I mean, what's that experience like to know this backstory and yeah. then that, to allow that to inform the video game, like the mm-hmm. stuff that isn't said, but you can still use that information. So like now both of these things, the game and the TV series are both as a, as a unit are becoming, I think greater than the sum of their individual parts. Exactly. Now it's a really complete experience, which I just didn't anticipate coming into this, but they're doing so in such a, such an amazing way. We should also quickly mention that season two has been officially renewed. To the surprise of no one, we knew that that was coming, especially after we saw those numbers. You and I talked last week about, well, how are they going to do this? Is one season one going to be the entire first game? Are they going to split it up? Are they going to make part two multiple seasons? Mm-hmm. I think we got a little bit more clarity on it because Neil Druckmann did, did did indeed confirm that season two will start to adapt The Last of Us part two. Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty clear now that they will wrap up the story of game one within the season, which... If we look at the pacing of how things are going right now, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. The question then still remains, well, what happens with part two? That is a much bigger game from a narrative standpoint. Mm -hmm. There's there's a lot more characters that we have to meet. There's more worlds and environments. It's a lot that they have to do. And, of course, they have to cast another huge lead in in Abby. And if you don't know about Abby... Very swole. A very swole (laughs) woman. I don't know how they're going to pull that off. They're going to have to find somebody. Maybe a wrestler. But... If you don't know Abby, don't look her up. If you don't want to be spoiled, don't do it. Don't don't do it. You will. I swear to God, if you Google it, you're gonna be spoiled. So don't do it if you don't know what's gonna happen. Um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about season two coming? And how do you feel about just the nature of like how they're gonna tell that story when once we do arrive to the Last of Us Part Two? Yeah, I think I think it's a good idea where Last of Us Part One is the first season. Um, again, these are very much games with stories that are contained you know like last of us isn't like a 60 hour game <laughs> so i don't need like you know what i mean the longest story in the world like tell the story and get out of there man because that's what the last of us does that's what the video games do they tell the story you kill some people you kill some zombies <laughs> you know what i'm saying you and you get out of there um and, and i think they'll 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 follow suit there season two i still have a feeling it even if they don't do like a season three, they'll do like a really long part one or something, and then a really long. Oh, like split it up exactly. But, It'll be like maybe eight release eight it or something. Yeah, yeah release like, it like eight months apart, six months apart, something yeah, like that. Yeah, because that is that's a lot. It really it's is massive. It really is like and I. I feel like I remember uh, just be like, dang, this game long. Like, am I still here? And it was, and it wasn't even all like you know action and stuff. It was like, dang, is this, this is another cutscene. There's flashbacks. I mean, there's a lot to that game. So, and I think, and I, I, I still have a feeling that the way this, the way we're watching this um, season play out, that they want to stay true to a lot of those things. Um, and so, yeah, I think it'll just be longer season two. But I, I really like the idea of telling the story just like the game, it's doing it with care, as we see this episode and these first three episodes have done, has done, and getting out of there, man. So I think, I think this is all sound good news to me. Yeah, I, I I I do anticipate more episodes for season two. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's two seasons, a split season, what whatever whatever the way and the method is of distribution, I don't think matters that much. But I do anticipate more episodes, anywhere between twelve to fourteen. You know, mm-hmm. to some extent, 
what I'm mostly interested in is is perspective. Because yeah. the part two game is all about perspective. Exactly. And it subverts expectations and, and makes you do things that you don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> there is a clear divide. It's like, what the fuck? I got to do what? I got to play as who? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how they play with that and mm-hmm. what that's going to look like. Because I anticipate that that's going to that's gonna be the big challenge. Like, how do you tell that story and, and create the perspective that, that feels that feels like it makes sense, but also still communicates what needs to be communicated for all the characters involved, mm-hmm. because you have to see all the sides to really understand the full scope of that story. So I'm, I'm very, very interested in how they, how they carry that out. Um, lastly, before we close off here, we do have to acknowledge Annie Wershing, who in the weirdest circumstances has just p- passed away. If you don't know Annie Wershing, she actually did the voice and the performance capture for Tess in the video game for the last of us part one and she just passed away a couple of days ago due to a a, a long battle with cancer. Um, I'm 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 very perplexed at this this news. Very saddened by it too, just because I I mean it's just really 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 ironic that the live action character in the the series you know met her in last week, and now just days after that, the person who brought this this character to life in the video game and we were introduced to in the video game by Annie Wershing has just also sadly sadly passed away um and she's also a a st louis native my hometown so that's also something else to know but really sad to see her go she did have a couple of other pieces of work that she did across film and tv i think she was in like bruce almighty at one point and Mm. was like an extra you know did some stuff with star trek as well so she was a working a working actress but of course i think most people do know her for for the voice and the performance capture of tess and so it's sad to see her go yeah man she's only 45 at that um which is crazy i didn't yeah that's that's just wow <laughs> 45 to um is insane man but like like you said the timing is crazy to me like the everything we just said after seeing the character but and then the note that's like <laughs> take care of Tess, oh man is like oh my goodness um she actually played a, a really big character as one of the parents in runaways too that's where I, that's one of the big places i know her from that's right um, i forgot well. about that yep um so yeah really 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 wild to see her go so young too man so rest in peace absolutely well folks those are our thoughts on episode three of hbo's the last of us if you've checked out this episode definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and of course stay tuned for next week's review of episode four of that series with that being said let's go ahead and transition and talk about a couple of movies first up we have to talk about the brand brand new netflix comedy you people Ezra, (laughs) what are you up to these days got a girlfriend no but you don't like getting pushy okay Hearing the word pussy come out of your mouth does make me question whether or not I like it. Back again, up in I'm never going to meet a woman who understands me. I don't think I've heard of a man ever who wanted to be in a relationship so badly besides Drake. And I'm talking Views Drake. They hear that loud. I feel like Views Drake, alone on a building, dangling my legs off, wondering what it's like to feel companionship. What the fuck are you doing? Stop! You okay? But you're not getting five stars. No, no, no. Uber driver. I mean, honestly, you guys are twins. Oh my God, wait, she really does look like me. I'm sorry, this was insane. Let me make it up to you. You're dating a black girl? I've never felt so understood by somebody in my entire life. Whether you like it or not, we kind of go together now. You're my boo, come on. I'm gonna ask her to marry me. Do you plan to? Out to our family? Yeah, I just haven't had the chance to meet them. What's going on? Tell me about life. How are you? 
This is your white granddaddy come back to haunt me. What? Now this is my fault? <clears throat> so you want to marry my daughter? Yes. Yes, I do. Well, Ezra, you can try. But they hate me. Can you honestly say that your family's excited to have my black ass in the picture? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You are so beautiful. I think the police okay. are fucked up towards black people. I like your braids. Thank you. Exhibit had braids. What's the difference between me and you? We've built a pretty awesome life together. We just need to protect it. What's the difference between me and you? Oh, so you're all Muslim. Very much so. I love it. Well, this kufi that I'm wearing was actually a gift from the Honorable Louis Farrakhan. Mm. Are you familiar with the minister's work? Well, I'm familiar with what he said about the Jews. You know what, let's I have dinner. What's the difference between me and you? You talk a good one, but you don't know what you're supposed to do. Your family, my family. I don't know how this is going to work. Well, we were technically OG slaves. Are you trying to compare the Holocaust to slavery? We lost the potatoes. Our people came here with nothing like everybody else. It's a very uncomfortable conversation. You kidding me? Can we ever figure out what happened with the potatoes Are you and the ETA me? on those? What's the difference between me and you? Hey, uh, what's up with white cuz? Am I white cuz? Well, I'm not. I'm white cuz for sure. Now, this movie is directed by Kenya Barris, and it's written by Kenya Barris and Jonah Hill, and it's starring Jonah Hill, Lauren London, David Duchovny, Nia Long, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Eddie Murphy. So You People is a movie that I think most folks have been looking forward to for a few weeks now. They they first released the trailer back at the end of 2022, a brand new Netflix comedy. Of course, Kenya Barris has a relationship with Netflix, has developed a few projects before, mostly is known for his work with the Blackish stuff across the ABC networks and all of the spinoffs that have come out from that. And there is a pretty impressive cast attached to this. Jonah Hill, Lauren London, Eddie Murphy, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. These are some A-listers across the board. Mm -hmm. So this definitely had a bunch of attention behind it. It just dropped this past week on Netflix. It's really their first big movie of 2023 it was included in that preview that they rolled out a couple of weeks ago but this is kind of their first their first notable film that they're releasing a part of their 2023 slate we got a chance to check out this movie so with all of that said man i'll pass it over to you what'd you think about you people yeah the cast is probably the only thing that's tremendous about this movie let's get that out the way first and foremost um kenya bears man i don't i don't know what's going on with you but you might just need to be arrested at this point. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what's going on, dog. But you might need to, I don't know. You need some therapy. Go to some writers' conventions. I have no idea what's going on in your mind. This movie, man, is it's 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 just not good. It's it's not good. It's painfully unfunny at so many points in time. There's there there's a lot of TV shows out there that. I think are very satirical on purpose, but the way they deliver them, the way the lines sit, the way the dialogue again is given, the way I don't know, they they work. This just doesn't like it it doesn't work at all. It tries to be funny. I think I maybe chuckled one time. Maybe. It was I was 
two hours long just looking at a screen is not the funnest thing in the world man the, the only thing that was fun i was like oh lauren london's there <laughs> that's the only time i was like yeah i'm this this is the reason i'm here oh man it's it it's very cringy um I, I don't even know what else to really say about the film. It's just not good. It's not a good movie. <laughs> there's not much to say about it. It's too long. There, there's really not even a plot to me. Like most, rom- at least, at least it could have like lived in a rom com space. And to be honest, it doesn't even feel like a rom com because it's trying so hard to tell all these messages about a Jewish family and a black family being overprotective of their interracial kids or like their inter their their children being in an interracial relationship and it doesn't even do it in like a what feels like a smart or provocative way that makes me interested like again the rom-com doesn't even feel like it's there for the most part there wasn't a ton of romance to be honest they tried to do like this weird thing where like jonah hill and lauren london you're like oh they could never exist and i still feel that while i was watching it i never felt like yep they, this is some great chemistry between Jonah Hill and Lauren London. Instead, I was like, no, this just still doesn't feel right. I don't know. It could have been everything surrounding it, right? I'm not blaming anything, even necessarily on the acting or the actors, but everything around it was just so bad that it didn't feel like it was worth any of this. Um, but yeah, Kenya Barris has been missing for a long time for me. Uh, I really only like Blackish. A lot of people don't like that, but I have reasons for liking Blackish. That I, I, he probably didn't write every episode of that either, <laughs> but it, this is just not it, man. Um, I hope he figures it out, maybe, hopefully. But I am no longer looking forward to any of his projects, man. There's a lot I already don't like, and just add this, tack it onto the list. It's disappointing, just because again the cast is fire, but it's also like a Netflix rom com by Kenya Bears. I can't say I really expected too much to come out of this, and that's exactly what I got. Pretty much a whole lot of nothing. So yeah. Oh, man. Um, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss for what this movie is, which is so interesting because there, there, there is a large amount of varying opinions about this movie. I've seen everything from this is the worst rom-com I've seen in years to people Jeez. praising it, saying that it's funny and it's brilliant and it's sharp and it's writing. And I watched this and left this experience thinking that this was so bad and so not worth my time and just such an unenjoyable experience. I'm really disheartened at the state of rom-coms these days. There have been a few good examples. Mm -hmm. Ticket to Paradise is okay. Yeah, that's fine. I liked Marry Me. What was the one mm-hmm. with uh, Channing Tatum and Sandra oh, Bullock? Uh, Lost City. Yeah, yeah the city. Mm-hmm. Lost yeah. City of something or whatever it yeah, was. Lost but that city. was it was it was like a rom com mixed up with like an adventure story, so it had a little bit more to it. So there's a few examples, but I'm really disheartened at where we are right now because watching this movie, it might have killed a few brain cells in my head. Now that I think <laughs> about it, just because of just how awful the writing felt to me, I think that I probably laughed a couple of times within the first. 10 or 15 minutes because we mostly got like the yep. deadpan Jonah Hill self self-deprecating humor. Mm-hmm. I laughed at maybe a couple of those things and then like Eddie Murphy's first round of dialogue, but he felt sleepy the entire movie. I don't even know if Eddie Murphy really wanted to be there. It just kind of yep. felt like he showed up as a favor. Like, oh yeah, Kenya, you directed coming to America. Let me just pop up here. We're, we have a connection. I'll show up and do three days worth of filming to be on this movie. And I just watched this whole thing unamused, unentertained, unenthused about anything that I saw 
feeling that the writing was so mediocre, feeling that it was just a bunch of stitched together scenes and moments that barely comprise the makeup of a of a movie and a story, but it's been constructed as this two hour two hour sort of commentary on interracial dating, which we've done that before. Guess who's coming to dinner is a thing, yep. and there's been a whole you know subgenre of interracial dating movies, so that's fine. But what is this saying? That's all that new? Not really anything. It's it's trying to be a modern twist, but I'd rather watch Guess Who with Bernie Mac and, and yes. Zoe Saldana from, what, 15 yep. years ago. I'll just take a look at that because that was fine. Yep. This one, the one thing that I'll credit it is that I guess it tries to be somewhat of a love story to L.A. I know Jonah and Kenya are both from L.A., and so they paint mm-hmm. L.A. as a really beautiful city and do a lot of stuff to talk about the culture. A lot of Nipsey stuff in there. Yeah, a lot of Nipsey stuff in there. Some good music, some personalities there that are very much ingratiated in that community. That stuff is cool. Beyond mm-hmm. that, this this is a bad movie, y'all. This is a bad movie. I can't put it no other way. I didn't like it. I won't ever watch it again. I really have nothing nope. else positive to say about it. What made me so confused as I was watching this, to talk about Jonah Hill and Lauren London as the main characters. They, of course, are in the relationship. How is it in an adult movie that is rated TVMA? That's the first thing you'll see when you pop on that movie. How is it that they 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 never they never exchange any sort of physical intimacy in this movie? They never kiss, they never make out. There's not even a smooch. Not even a smooch, not even like not a quick even. peck, like a goodbye, like it's mm-hmm. not even that. I don't need to see a full on sex scene with their socks off. Like I don't need that. Like we don't gotta <laughs> we don't gotta get that graphic with it, but if you want to make it believable, we have to see something. Like we're adults something. here. And this mm-hmm. is a movie where they're cussing, Eddie Murphy's saying the N-word every five minutes. Like, this is not meant to be a PG <laughs> movie. So what's with the absence of any physical intimacy? They they hug when they leave every time. Like, come on, are we being honest? Like, everybody's relationship is different. Everybody doesn't always kiss and do all the same things all the time. But we didn't see it at all at one point in time. Did they even kiss at the wedding? I, I might have missed that. I might. I might. I can't even remember if they know. did that. Did, did we I see? Remember? You may kiss the bride. I didn't even see that. I think I might have walked out and went to the bathroom because I was yeah, over it. it was you already, know, it was already. Mm, it left my mind at that point. This is just not. Um, this ain't it. And Kenya Barris, as you said, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know about the guy. He just ain't got it for me. And and this it. is just a further testament to that fact because. I really don't understand how anybody can enjoy this. This is just the most contrived, obvious writing ever. There are so many scenes that are just so obvious. Like, they talk about the N-word, and they talk about the plight of Jewish people versus black people, and they compare the Holocaust versus slavery. You literally see this shit on Twitter. It's oh so contrived. It's so it's so lazy and boring to me. And one of the biggest offenders, which people are finding funny, is that scene in the car... Fuck it, I'm saying it. It is what it is. With Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill, with the niggas in Paris from Jay Z and, and Kanye, and he's just trying <laughs> to get him to say the N word. It's like, come on, bro. Are we really doing this? You're just Alrighty. you're just goading him into saying like, is this supposed to be funny? That's it, y'all. That's all I gotta say about this movie. Can't really give it any mu- much more time and attention. Uh, if you liked it, great. I love that for you. I wish I could have been you because I love Eddie Murphy. I love Jonah Hill. I love Lauren yep. London. Yep. I I really wish. Deep down in my soul that I could have given this more, but I can't. I just can't. So don't hit me up anymore about my one and a half star rating. It is what it is. <laughs> Those are our thoughts on you people. If you've checked out this movie on Netflix, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition to our final movie that we're going to review this week. The brand new film from Brandon Cronenberg, Infinity Pool. 
I don't understand why we're doing this. We barely know these people. It's one day. Let's mix things up a bit. You're just happy you found your fan club. I've been waiting six years for your second book. Is it coming out soon? I'm working on it. What do you do for money, then? He married well, rich. <laughs> <laughs> I actually came here looking for inspiration. Mr. James Foster, you'll have to come with us. Here, the punishment for any crime committed is death. What? What did you say? That's for a significant sum. We'll build a double to send in for your execution. your transformation. This is just a little game. But I can take some blood. Yeah! Show me how strong you are. It's really disgusting. You could just sit there. And watch it happen. You know, James, do you worry they got the wrong man? Now, as I mentioned, this movie is written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, and it's starring Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goth, and Cleopatra Coleman. So Brandon Cronenberg is a relatively new director, but he does come from Hollywood royalty. He is the son of David Cronenberg, who's been in the industry for like five decades, making so many different types of films. They're both mostly known for their elements of science fiction, horror, body horror, mostly, mm -hmm. and incorporating those into the into into their stories. And before checking out Infinity Pool, I actually wanted to watch Brandon Cronenberg's most recent film, Possessor, which is available to stream on Hulu, just to get a sense of his style to see how similar he was going to be like his dad. Because I've seen a, a good fair amount of David Cronenberg's movie, but I wanted to get a better sense of Brandon. And uh, I would check out people, check, I, I would recommend people check out Possessor. It's a really good movie. But went to go see Infinity Pool this past weekend. And I got to say, I was mostly pleased by it. I think that this is a really, really solid third film from this director. What I mostly appreciated is the fact that you can see him elevate his style even more from Possessor. You can mm. see him getting a little bit more money, getting a little bit more comfortable with his own filmmaking styles and attributes and the things that he wants to to showcase in terms of his storytelling. And I really, really love the sci-fi the sci concept that's included here. I won't spoil it because it is, it is very unique and central to the story and just how it progresses. But there's a really cool sci-fi concept. I mean, listen, if you just look at the title, Infinity Pool, you can start to imagine what that might mean. And right. it's really cool. And it creates this really kind of twisted, fucked up, romantic story between the main characters. <laughs> but the thing that I have to praise the most, first and foremost, is Mia Goth. She yep. is she is literally a force of nature. I, I am almost at a loss for words every time I see her in a movie. She takes everything that she's been a part of that I've seen, and she elevates it even further. Because... 
I would dare say if you take Mia Goth out of the things that we've seen recently from her, if you take her out of X, if you take her especially out of Pearl, mm. those movies don't work as well without her presence. And the same thing applies to Infinity Pool. If she's not here, the movie isn't anywhere nearly as entertaining as it could be because she is an absolute psychopath in this movie. She's crazy. And mm. we get to see her be a different type of crazy than what we saw in Pearl. If you've seen Pearl or even X, which you know sort of alludes to the events in Pearl, you kind of see how dark that this actress can get and how deep she can go in her performances. This is different because this is leaning more towards her being quote unquote normal. Like she's not putting on makeup. She's not putting on really a, a, an accent. She's using her native accent, but she does do a lot of fucked up shit. There's a lot of scenes where it's like, mm -hmm. yo, what are you doing right now? What? what? Why, why are you just so crazy and just unpredictable? And I can't see where things are going to go because of your presence here. She's she she is a star really in the making. And I'm just so in tune and locked in for whatever Mia Goth does. I got season tickets to any movie she's going to be in. I can't wait till Maxine <laughs> comes out this year. Yeah. I know she's going to kill that as well. That's going to be the third movie in that in that X and Pearl trilogy. But this one, this was this was really enjoyable. I, I really liked it. The only the only criticism that I would level against it is that I do think that in the third act of the movie, it runs out of runs out of steam. I think I think it kind of loses loses some mm. of the momentum that it built up in the first second uh first and second acts because that first act is really building the mystery and the intrigue you don't really know what's going on but you get to meet the characters the second act you get to understand what this big reveal and surprise is and how it affects everybody and just all the chaos and shenanigans that ensue the third act i think it could have been a little bit tighter because this movie is approaching two hours it's not exactly exactly two hours but it is getting close to that i think you shave off maybe 10 minutes and really hone in and lock in on just the momentum that was built up, it would have been a, a bit of a stronger effort. But that being mm -hmm. said, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to revisit it. And, and again, I'm looking out for, for whatever Brandon Cronenberg does, because just like his father, he's doing a lot of weird shit, a lot of unpredictable shit, stuff you haven't really seen with like the body and body horror. And so I'm definitely excited to see, see whatever project he picks up next. Man, Possessor has been like sitting on my shelf for so long and I still have yet to put it in. It's like it stares at me like every day. I can't lie to you. <laughs> like I really be thinking about putting that movie in a lot and still haven't done so. Uh, but I was I'm, I'm still very excited to check out Infinity Pool, man. Everything you said is what I thought. <laughs> like as soon as I seen the promo and seen Mia Goth and Alex Skarsgård, I was like, oh, I'm already sold. Actually, you didn't even have to tell me anything. You could have been like Mia Goth and Alex Skarsgård are in this movie. I'm like okay <laughs> and i probably would have been there man so glad to see me a still doing tremendous work man i know she's going to continue to do tremendous work maxine is about to be crazy i can't wait to see that either but man i'm gonna have to check this out um super soon but glad glad it, glad it sounds good man absolutely well those are our thoughts on infinity pool if you've checked out this movie definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're going to transition to the news of the week we got a couple of quick things that we got to talk about and discuss first up from the dc side of things somehow by the recording of this podcast we still don't have a dc studio slate from james gunn and peter saffron but i guess we're going to get it within the next 24 hours but we did get some other dc news from hbo max and we found out that titans and Doom Patrol, which are both currently in their fourth seasons on the streaming service, are going to end after these fourth seasons. They have effectively been canceled by HBO Max and Warner Brothers Discovery, their parent company, but it's not by surprise. Apparently, the creators of these shows sort of read the writing on the wall and knew that this was going to come 
From The Hollywood Reporter, we have a quote that says, quote, Sources say producers on both Titans and Doom Patrol saw the writing on the wall amid all the changes with DC Entertainment and plotted their current seasons with proper endings so as to not leave fans in a lurch, end quote. Which I guess is a good thing so that mm -hmm. people just don't watch these fourth seasons and say, like, well, that was really anticlimactic. But James Gunn also made it very clear on Twitter that this decision preceded him. Um, and Peter Safran, they had nothing to do with the cancellation of Titans and Doom Patrol. This was effectively made by the ownership and the leaders before they were brought on to leave DC Studios. So I would assume David Zaslav and his entire his entire regime made this decision. They've been cutting a lot of stuff from HBO Max that we've talked about a couple of times. And so Titans and Doom Patrol have been no exceptions. But I know you watch Titans and I watch mm -hmm. Doom Patrol. So we were in a bit of a <laughs> interesting <laughs> situations here where we haven't seen the other show, but we have both yeah. seen these in some capacity. Um, how, how do you feel about these shows, you know, sort of reaching the finish line here? Um, it's so interesting, man. It's kind of bittersweet. But I uh, I. I really like the idea from the writers that they were like, well, are we still going to finish this whole, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just know so many other shows who don't get the opportunity and that's the last episode. You know what I'm saying? That's it. Like it's cut off. Like you don't get to write in an ending. So, so people aren't mad. And you know, and I, I love when things can, can be definitive. I hate, I hate the aspect that they won't finish telling their stories. I feel like, like I feel like they're moving their goalposts backwards. <laughs> you know what I mean to get it to where it needs to be, which could be a shaky ending, but at least it's ending. So that's like the bittersweet part. It's like, dang, y'all don't get to tell the complete story, but that's where it ends up. Um, but Titans and Doom Patrol, I think, have been tremendous kind of kind of test subjects for Warner Brothers in some ways, man. To see them continue i know a lot of people who watch these shows they're in you know nerd culture the nerd world a lot of dc and marvel fans who actually do watch titans in doom patrol um and, and and they do talk about them so it's it's I, I don't see that with all you know all all superhero shows and th those are two i knew people watched so it's kind of i think that's why it's sad to see it goes like dang i'm not gonna see you Bring up Doom Patrol anymore. It was cool to see people talk about Doom Patrol. No one ever talks about Doom Patrol before the TV show came out. You know what I'm saying? So um, I'm going to miss stuff like that, man. But again, at least they're going to be able to finish them. And at least four seasons is decent as well, right? This mm -hmm. isn't season one or season two. At least they have four seasons under their belt to say, okay, we actually did that. So again, bittersweet, man, but still sad to see them go. Yeah, I agree. Four seasons is a good run. A lot of shows these days, especially over on Netflix, don't get that much. They don't get that much runway. And it's also equally interesting that both of these series started on the DC Universe streaming platform, which yep. you know had like a two-year lifespan. It didn't last that long, especially once HBO Max had launched. It was a bit of a redundancy, but amazingly enough, they both were able to get picked up over at HBO Max, and so they were allowed to continue. Otherwise, we would have had like one season apiece, and so mm -hmm. I think people should be grateful for that. I think people should be grateful for the fact that, as you said, the creators and the producers and the filmmakers behind these projects have already plotted out endings for these shows to allow it to be a little bit more satisfying as opposed to just the the really clear and decisive cutoff point that many, many shows face, unfortunately. Just due to the nature of cancellations across TV, it's a, it's a really, really, really tough thing to deal with. And you don't ever really get the chance to see many shows come back and be redeemed. You know, sometimes 
sometimes a studio or a network might budge and say like, okay, well, we'll make a TV movie so you can write off the, the show. Or maybe maybe we'll sell you off to another streaming platform or a network and they can pick you up and finish it out. We mm-hmm. saw that with Lucifer when that was initially canceled and picked up by Netflix. But it's good that they got four seasons and introduced new flavors into the DCU. This is a live action version of Teen Titans and we got Doom Patrol really weird and wacky sort of superhero team up that otherwise would, wouldn't have ever gotten made. You know, I'm probably likely to get made from James Gunn because he is he is that deep with it but otherwise you know I, I don't think you would see this type of project so it's good that they got to last as long as they did so i think that's something to be thankful for over on the marvel side of things we just found out some new casting news so apparently io Beery, who stars in fx's the bear a show we've both seen has joined marvel studios thunderbolts movie which is going to be filming very very soon here in the summertime and it's going to be coming out next july 2024 that's a part of phase five of the new storytelling that's coming from marvel Ioa DeBerry, when I talked about the bear on the show, I mentioned her specifically as somebody to look out for. Very excited to see all the things that she does. If I'm being honest about this news, though, I got to say, with a lot of the casting announcements with these Marvel projects, in terms of like, I'm really excited about this person. Oh, they've done tremendous work on this series, and I can't wait to see them, you know, in this new Marvel project. What ends up happening is a sense of disappointment, and I just mm-hmm. can't think of, I, I can't help but think about Michaela Cole and Black Panther Wakanda Forever, how mm-hmm. little she was utilized. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that that can't increase in the future and that we won't see more out of that character in the future, and they just, you know, sort of establish the building blocks, but I'm a little hesitant to get super excited about this. I'm glad she's getting, she getting money. She getting a paycheck from this. Like, that's dope. Like, right. a black actress who's going to be in this huge movie. Many more people will discover her because of this, but I guess we just have to see what she's going to play because right now it's an undisclosed role. We don't really know what what her what her contribution to this movie is going to be in terms of a character and what she's going to bring to the film. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're uh, again. I, I still remember. Again, I don't know how confirmed this is, but I still remember very recently say, people saying Sadie Sink was going to play Songbird, you know, in in, in in Thunderbolts, and I'm wondering if this is another character to add to the thunderbolts or if there is some villainous kind of thing going here with her um but overall like you said like it's hard to get too pumped just because again this late in an announcement like that feels like uh you're sure you'll be in it and we'll see you i don't know you know how much you know you're gonna do or how much you're gonna have to do she could be a general of something and we'll see her for 30 seconds you know what i'm saying and be like oh that was it kind of type thing so yeah it, it is one of those wait and see situations but like you said at least you're getting the paycheck i love to see that post bear that she's getting more work as well shoot post marvel this the really the world is her oyster after this um in some ways that's how i'm looking at it like oh you've been in a marvel movie well come be in this thing over here that i have i, I love that that propel i'm sure that is that a word propulation i don't know i'm sure that's a word but I'm, I'm I'm very excited to see how she grows after this. Most definitely. And in our last news item for this week, just want to quickly talk about Nielsen's most watched TV shows and movies from 2022. They released their official numbers this past week of just the programs across streaming that were the most consumed across the board. They also released lists for acquired television series. So things like NCIS, which is on Netflix, they 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 counted numbers for that, too. But I want to specifically focus on original series and also movies that have performed ex- ex- exceptionally well. And so they dropped their top 15 and the way that they judge this is by the amount of minutes watched, which is kind of industry standard at this point in terms of what's ranking above a particular project. And so let's start on 
TV side of things, this is the streaming series originals, originals list, which is a top 15 list. And rounding out at the top is Stranger Things, which I don't think is a surprise. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a juggernaut at this point with 52 billion minutes consumed across the year. And another important thing to note is that they are taking into account all episodes that are available. So that 52 billion minutes includes all four seasons of Stranger Things. Of course, mm. that is propelled by the new season four that premiered this year. I'm sure a lot right. of people went back and rewatched season one and two and three, but that's just another thing to take into consideration that this is all episodes, all seasons included in this list. But Stranger Things is number one at 52 billion minutes. Ozark is at 31.3 billion minutes in the number two spot. Wednesday is in the number three spot with 18.6 billion minutes. Cobra Kai at number four with 16.7 billion. Number five is Bridgerton, 14 billion minutes. Six, Virgin River with 13.6 billion minutes. Number seven is Dahmer with 13.4 billion minutes. Eight, Love is Blind, 13.1 billion minutes. Inventing Anna, 12.9 billion minutes at number nine. Number 10, The Crown, 12.7 billion minutes. 11, The Boys, 10.6 billion minutes. 12, The Greatest, The Great. The greatest, the greatest, greatest, easy for me to say. The Great British <laughs> Baking Show at 10.6 billion minutes. Number 13, The Umbrella Academy with 10.5 billion minutes. Number 14, The Last Kingdom with 10.4 billion minutes. And rounding out the top 15 is The Rings of Power at 9.4 billion minutes. Whoo! That's wow. a lot of watch time, man. A lot of shows getting getting viewed by a lot of eyeballs there. What stands out to you? Any surprises? Anything, any, any, anything that this tells to you in terms of a story? Just the narrative that's being crafted here? I, I, I should note that out of 15, 13 of these are Netflix shows. So Crazy. take that for what it is. That <laughs> Netflix is clearly, clearly the king when it comes to at least streaming series. But what, what are your big takeaways from just seeing this list of, of, of these projects across streaming? Who is watching Virgin River? That's my first takeaway. Is this is this like a <laughs> damn this, dog? You hating on the Virgin River crew uh, out here? Uh oh, they gonna come I, for I you just, in the in the I comments. Just know, I just want to know who they are. I'm not Watch saying it's, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad show or anything. I have just never been on the internet or from word of mouth and been like, man, that episode of Virgin River <laughs> that was the one. Ah oh, man, it's probably some some demographic I'm just not a part of. I have not seen anybody talk about that show, man. But man, a lot, a lot of Netflix, a lot, a lot of Netflix, and it's funny. This is still like the company that's that's under, and <laughs> will continue to be under for a long time the way they do business. But um, a lot of these make sense to me, man. Stranger Things is not a surprise. Ozark isn't a surprise. Wednesday is not a surprise. Um, the way you, you talk about Cobra Kai is not a surprise. Did Bridgerton have a new season last? year i think at the top of 2022 i believe is when they Mm. had season two come out because Ah. we know one was like a huge huge massive success but i believe it was at the top of 2022 so that's probably why i got got thrown into the mix that makes a lot of sense because i was like i don't remember bridgerton having a resurgence like it did um but that makes sense if it happened at the uh beginning of the year Dahmer that we've talked about I, i am surprised again i haven't heard a lot of people talk about virgin river but it beat Dahmer, which we did hear a ton about, um, I think, which is interesting. Man, the boys being top 15. I just love to see that. Um, I can't wait to see it higher. I think it will be higher next year. I really do. Um, How about it being the only superhero show on this list? It beat out surprise. It beat out every other Disney Plus series from Marvel. Like, none of them are in the top 15. I'm sure they're represented, mm-hmm. you know, maybe like top 30 or whatever the case may be. But the boys... Yeah. The sole superhero show that, that that's represented here is kind of crazy. 
Yeah, I can't say I'm surprised because it has its own thing. You know, The Boys is like a whole completely different demographic of superherodom that I think, you know, I can imagine there's a ton of, there's probably so many like Marvel haters out there. They're just like, love me some boys. You know what I'm saying? Like, True. The Boys is it. Same with DC. Uh, I know the, the Boys is providing us the mature superhero content that other people aren't. And I know there's a very big hunger for that. And I can see more people leaning into that overall than they're leaning into any of the other superhero projects that are happening um, at the time. So, again, very happy to see that. I knew Wednesday was going crazy, but I didn't think it went top three crazy. Like I didn't know it was I didn't know it was top three crazy. Like <laughs> off of eight episodes. That that speaks volumes. Like it's going up against like fifty episodes of Ozark. And it's Ooh. it's just like right under that. That that's really ridiculous when you think about it. No, it's impressive, man. I think that's why they're gonna bring that back all day if that's oh the numbers God. keep looking like that um we're about to have jenna ortega part two i'm telling you man the, the 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 girl she she got her an agent i'll tell you that the girl got her an agent so very very proud of her there um other rings of power whoo just barely making it that's kind the of a one, bad beat for rings of power there that's <laughs> the, the one that's like a little bit scary it's like yeah. rings of power how'd you <laughs> how'd you at least you made it but like we expected you to be at least top 10 yeah that bottom five is is very interesting there no for sure i definitely think um you know it was it was popular obviously you wouldn't make it on this list if you weren't popular but maybe they overestimated and, and overstated just how popular mm-hmm. they really were in comparison and, and you know it's important to say that this is only one metric nielsen has a history of being like the main metric provider in terms of what people are watching how many people are watching and now you know how much time they're spending watching it but there's other you know sources that that, that, that are being taken into account for from other platforms but nielsen you know has largely been reliable in terms of being the most accurate and when you look at yeah, Rings of Power was kind of at the bottom. It got beat by the boys, right? Like, yeah, Sheesh. it's it's the boys, you know, with 24 episodes compared to eight, but still, like, Rings of Power costs all the money to make in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, all the money. So you, you definitely, I think, want it to be higher if you're the folks over at Prime Video. Let's move over to the movies, which is telling, like, a completely different type of story, and, and it's just so fascinating to me. So I'll read off the top 15 really quickly. Number one, Encanto over at Disney+, Plus, 27.4 billion minutes viewed, Number two, Turning Red, 11.4 billion minutes. Sing 2, 11.3 billion minutes. Moana, 8.6 billion minutes. The Adam Project over on Netflix, 6.1 billion minutes. Hocus Pocus 2, back to Disney+, Plus, 5.6 billion minutes. Don't Look Up on Netflix, 5.1 billion minutes. Frozen on Disney+, Plus, 5.1 billion minutes. That's Frozen 1, to be exact. Luca, 4.9 billion minutes at number nine. Number 10, rounding out that top 10, is The Gray Man on Netflix, 4.9 billion minutes. And then the final bottom five, Zootopia at 11 with 4.4 billion minutes. Coco also with 4.2 billion minutes. Eternals from Marvel Studios at 4.2 billion minutes. Frozen 2 at the 14th spot with 4.1 billion minutes. And finally, Uncharted, which debuted on Netflix this year after its theatrical run, rounding out the top 15 with 4.1 billion minutes. So in contrasting sort of statements and ideologies from what we saw with the streaming series, this list is made up of all Disney Plus stuff. And furthermore, <laughs> it's made up of all animated movies, pretty much. Like, 10 of the 15 here are animated movies. I remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the performance of animated movies when you mm-hmm. saw Strange World in theaters and just how right. how poorly that did from a box office perspective. And that's kind of been the narrative with a lot of animated movies recently. Mm-hmm. I think that this tells us why. Everybody's staying at home to watch them, especially if you're of a younger demographic. 
just imagine all the parents who have Disney Plus who have pretty much been mandated by their kids like, yeah, you got to have this because they got all the animated movies that they're going to watch over and over and over and over. Every time my Mm -hmm. damn brother calls me, my niece is on the phone talking about Turning Red. She's singing Turning Red. She's talking about the bands (laughs) and the music and stuff like that's. She's obsessed with that movie. That That is like her most watched movie ever. Mm-hmm. Encanto is no surprise as well. We know how amazing that yep. was. But what do you think about that, that Disney Plus has sort of ruled the movie side of things? And then in addition to that, animated movies are just killing it across the board on streaming. You know, I think it's very, very telling of um, how we consume content, I think, as we age. Because you look at that, that, that the streaming series and it's like, maybe only adults watch series you know what i'm saying <laughs> right like right. like you st- like I, you start to th- it sounds very obvious but nobody really thinks about like there's no there's not a ton like i can't imagine what else will show up on the tv show list that's more geared towards kids like coco melon like i don't know you know what i'm saying like i don't know what's supposed to pop up there <laughs> or what i'm looking for there but movies makes a ton of sense to me i'm even thinking about when we were younger t- of course i was watching cartoons right but I was popping them movies in back to back too, over and over. And and it was, and also the way we consumed TV shows when we were younger, it was very few times where I was like, "It's Friday at five thirty, I need to watch my show." It just didn't happen that often when you're younger. It happened with very few cartoons. Every a lot of that stuff isn't linear. You know what I'm saying? A lot of yeah. that stuff isn't. A lot of episodes have their own thing. It's 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 just the way it's written. But these streaming movies make a ton of sense to me, man. The kids are like, I need to turn on Encanto again because I'm going to sing Encanto and I can't wait to, you know what I mean? Uh, just all of it. it. It makes a ton of sense to me, man. I, I'm really impressed a little bit about what it looks like. And, and also, we made a, we made another point. Well, we made this point a couple times, but also parents, people that got families ain't trying to spend X amount of dollars on all these tickets because <laughs> the whole family has to go. With whole that family got to go. Two, three and you kids. Know, like, yeah, it's crazy. You know, TT going want popcorn. Junebug going want nachos. Like, it's gonna be a lot. Can I get the mozzarella sticks, please? Like, and then you gonna walk out the theater. It's gonna be an hour, fifty minute movie, and you're gonna spend hundred and twenty dollars. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people don't want to do that. But what you can do, get the family together and watching Canto on Friday night. You can do that, and then oh, now Lili and Junebug is addicted to Encanto. They gonna run it back again. Um, so yeah, man, I think it's it's really crazy to see. It's also really crazy to see how like all the Netflix movies in here I don't like, <laughs> except for like, <laughs> except for like uh, Sing Two. It maybe a Netflix streaming, right? But I, right. I didn't see that. I didn't see that on Netflix. Exactly. Um, That's important I, to I, note that some of these are not Netflix mm-hmm. originals, but they were acquired by Netflix and are currently streaming right now. Exactly. One other thing I love about the streaming movie thing is I consider it like a second golden age for Disney where like we got it was I mean, it was like Zootopia, Frozen, Moana, like it was Ray they was Ralph. going crazy for a long time. Back to back to back. Um and uh yeah, I'm I'm just happy to see some of these movies here. I was like, Oh shoot, kids are still watching Moana to make a top four most watched, you know what I'm saying? They playing the hell. Out of some like seven years old at this point. Like, Jesus. <laughs> it's old, man. You know, Frozen's going to have the long legs it's going to have. Uh, but in bed with see Zootopia and Coco here, too, is very happy for me. Because I remember being like the age where like Disney was just going stupid at that time. So really, no surprise there, but really still happy to see him. 
Yeah, the, the, you know, these, these stats are pretty useful because when you talk about minutes watched, that accounts for rewatchability, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that takes that into consideration. So to your point, I mean, the amount of times people have probably rewatched Encanto and Turning Red and Sing 2 and Moana, those top four all have music in them. All yep. of them have musical elements in them. So when we talk about sing-alongs and, and, and musicals and just how much that resonates, well, the first place I'm going to go to listen to that music is the movie. I'm not necessarily going to go to YouTube if I'm a kid. That's how I'm thinking because you want to get the visuals paired with the music and you want to have this full, this really full experience because that's how I did it when I was a kid. If I if I really gravitated towards music in a particular film like The Lion King or Aladdin or whatever the case may be. Mm. And some of these other movies here, uh, I know a lot of people were surprised by Eternals cracking this top four, top 15, excuse me. But I think it actually makes sense because in comparison to Doctor Strange 2 or Thor Love and Thunder, Eternals mm-hmm. 2 dropped on Disney Plus at the top of last year. It had the yeah. longest time to exist on Disney Plus. Also, not that p- many people went to the movies to see Eternals either. Like it, it wasn't the movie that made a ton of money comparatively to their other films. Like it wasn't, let me go rush out and watch Eternals. Everybody kind of just sat back and waited to see what was going to happen and watch it at mm-hmm. home. So I'm not that surprised that it superseded movies like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness or Thor, Thor Love and Thunder. It is interesting to see like no other previous Marvel movies from prior years like Shang-Chi or Black Widow are not represented here. But that Disney animated factor is just so strong when you look at Frozen and Coco and Zootopia. It's just not no space. It's not enough space left to, to, to crack that top 15. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a really, really really interesting landscape that we're looking at when we look at movies and streaming series but we're gonna have to see how things look this year and what's gonna rule i guess rule the roost when we look at the the amount of stuff that's watched at the end of 2023 so we will certainly have to see but with that being said ladies and gentlemen that's all we have for this episode of two black nerds thank you again for tuning into another podcast we will be back later this week to talk about all the upcoming marvel projects that are going to be releasing in the year that is 2023 there's a ton to get to there's a lot of series there's a, some video games there's some movies that we got to discuss we're just going to have a conversation about what we're looking forward to what we're maybe you know maybe not that excited about <laughs> just plenty of stuff coming from the marvel side of things and you know hopefully we might get a little bit of dc news to discuss as well so until then we will see y'all next time yes sir we are audi 5000 Please check out our Two Black Panthers Forever collection at twoblacknerds.com. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy, and we out, y'all. Peace. Smoking on my expect tonight. Smoking on you can't trust in me.